0: killer country. My name is Brittany Ransom. And my
1: name is Brian Joyner.
0: And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the killers we love to learn about. Every week, Brian and I will discuss two true crime stories that resonated with us, and then I'll lead you down the dark path of learning about who a killer was, how they grew up, how they killed, and, of course, how they got caught. And then Brian will take us into the creepier side of life with a discussion of the paranormal or cryptids. Yes. And not this week in true crime this week in general news your girl Brittany, ha- is in a documentary um it's a pretty big deal um it comes out it's actually out now by the time you hear this uh it came out the wednesday june 15th uh 2022 it's about gary Ridgway. it is two hour long two hours long And I'm in the trailer, so I know that I have to be distinctly in the actual (laughs) documentary because they wouldn't have put me in the trailer if I only had one line.
1: Y'all better watch it. (laughs) She's in it.
0: Please watch it. This is my second on-camera thing. And I actually booked a third on-camera thing with a network in this past week so things are happening wonderful incredible amazing things and please if you're into really watching like this looks like it honestly looks really good they spent a week it it was two weeks of filming a week on the west coast and a week on the east coast um they went to all of the locations that we talked about in the podcast last year Mm -hmm. uh for they spoke to a lot of the main Uh, police officers, but the real thing that they're focusing on with this, the documentary is called Sins of the Father, and they're really talking about how Matthew Ridgway felt about all of this. And we don't spend enough time kind of delving into how these crimes affect the families and other people. So I think that that's a really unique way that they approach this, not just talking about his crimes, but also talking about uh, his son's experiences with his dad and about what happened afterward so
1: that's awesome i, I do like to hear it
0: that's I'd all the news a- i got it's on tubi you don't have to even download it you can literally just go to their website you don't have to sign up you can just watch it that's like my favorite thing about tubi i still don't i think i finally made a tubi account recently but you can just go there and watch things it's great (laughs) i was like in a sea of too much paying for streaming platforms i am down with this one that just lets me watch stuff
1: okay but
0: now this week in true crime (laughs) i have an interesting story for you okay so are you aware that in pennsylvania we have found 16 unidentified sets of remains since 1979.
1: 16? 16.
0: 16. And the no. most recent ones we found didn't have heads.
1: Oh, that's the, and the recent ones. Uh, oh, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, ju- that leads me to believe it's from the same person.
0: Well, okay. So since 1979... Uh, The first one was found on the bank of Juniata river and they were skeletal in 1979. Uh, They have no idea the cause of death for this woman, but it is listed as suspicious. And then there are 15 other like unregistered, just sets of remains as young as an infant, a preschooler, and at least one teenager. Four of them are women. The last two were discovered in 2021 three bones were found by a duck hunter on the island near the Susquehanna River on July 25th, 2021. What island is that? (laughs) (laughs) What? My question is, is it one of those islands that like rises and disappears depending on the river? Like, you know, sometimes they're flooded and sometimes they're not? Right,
1: right, right. Okay, and the Susquehanna River, that goes all the way down to freaking Maryland. So...
0: No, these were in Pennsylvania. These were found.
1: Okay, so maybe it's it's one of the ones like goes down like past uh, Columbia and stuff like that.
0: Over... But um, they found two femurs and a tibia that were belonging to a man between the ages of 22 and 50. Um, they think he would have been anywhere between five foot six and six foot two inches. I think the problem is that like as you get older, your bones shrink, so that's a problem. Um, then a couple months later. They find five skull fragments that they think belong to a child at the Falmouth boat launch. They also found a headless man in Clay Township, January 21st, 1982. There was a scar on his chest from a previous bullet wound that had healed. And he was found wearing a light blue Kate Collins brand sweater with a monogrammed K on the front. So these just, it's kind of like, I didn't know there were so many, I mean, it's not that crazy. There's like 18 million people in Pennsylvania, but right, right. I don't know. It's just weird. Like, um, they found, uh, another body in 2013, also skeletal black man between 30 and 50. They think that his remains might've been there like 10 years before he was found. Um, according to the national missing and unidentified, unidentified person systems, um, not only are these like unidentified, but they were also unclaimed, And that's a whole different perspective. The fact that Uh nobody reported these people missing. And apparently Pennsylvania is currently trying to pass. Well, they already did pass laws requiring coroners to take DNA samples from all identified remains before they get buried or cremated and uploading them to the national database as a means to try and solve these we are still trying to solve these even though some of them are rather old but it's interesting
1: it is interesting oh wow yeah. can you imagine maybe they're out from out of state bodies and it's right got and like it could be a.
0: across state lines because that's a common way that people got away with murder in the past
1: yep mm, never
0: know but yeah what's yours
1: okay so i don't have true crime this week i have i have cryptid news this week i was
0: like this weekend brian says what he wants
1: (laughs) (laughs) so there may be a chupacabra running around (laughs) in texas brian New, new evidence of a chupacabra Running there's around Texas, it's
0: a chupacabra every couple months, sir.
1: Okay, okay, okay. But this one, shut, shut, shut. shut. <laughs> <laughs> this one is they got a video of it, and it looks it look okay. Mm-hmm. It looks like uh, something, some man type thing wearing a wolf pelt on over his head, but okay, uh, people. So- are, you were saying it's Chupacabra. Okay, so let me read this news report to you, okay?
0: i well, look for the video right now. Chupacabra, Texas.
1: It's Amarillo, Ar- Arma- Texas.
0: Oh, Amarillo. Yep.
1: All right. So it says, A city in Texas said it has not received any salt leaves that can help identify the mysterious object caught on camera at the Amarillo Zoo. Um, low
0: object. <laughs> <apology>.
1: It's <laughs>
0: uh, so, somebody on Twitter said uh, my children have decided this is Ugly Sonic.
1: Oh my god, <laughs> Ugly Sonic! Oh my goodness. Okay, so uh, apparently, around one twenty five a.m. on mon- on May twenty first, security cameras inside a perimeter fence they captured a strange image, um, and it was mm-hmm. a photo of. It's quoted by uh, as, was it a person with a strange hat who likes to walk at night? Was it a large coyote on his hind legs? Maybe a chupacabra?
0: Okay, so I'm looking at this photo, right? And so the mm-hmm. top part of it is giving me um, Fallout New Vegas, the fiends, the ones who wear the like dog heads on top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, but the problem is the curve of the leg Right? And the lack of a midsection. There's virtually no torso on this person thing.
1: No. And no. It, it,
0: and like the thing is when people stand like that, you're generally like kind of squatting. That's mm-hmm. not a natural bend that our legs do when we just stand. So I'm no. like, unless this person was like jumping <laughs> across the field outside <laughs> of the zoo, it doesn't really hit me as people. But it doesn't hit me as anything that is alive.
1: It's uh, it's being classified as a UAO. It's an unidentified Amarillo object. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my people, God. Look, Twitter look. is
0: wild. Someone says Swiper, no swiping and posted a picture.
1: <laughs> it looks like Swiper.
0: It looks like Swiper. You're right. Oh, my God. Also, someone said it was Rocket from Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> I'm just looking some, at all of the responses on Twitter. James some, Gunn posted a picture of the- Some people say it's the... Teen
1: Wolf. Sir, <laughs> you're going to have to get from my computer. Thank you very much.
0: Um, um. Then somebody else posted a picture of the guys from What Does the Fox Say? dressed up yes. as foxes.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Oh, Jesus. Twitter just having it a like field day. looks like the
1: i love the picture of the weasel and it kind of does look like the weasel a little bit
0: is that the the creepy looking eye creature from the james gunn movie yeah from oh, the, okay um, okay from squad. suicide squad yeah because i saw his post i just saw i just okay so yeah. james gunn said it was his character
1: <laughs> yep
0: people have um, been so- having a field day in the comments this is hilarious
1: yeah, but some people, they said it was the, 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 the Skinwalker out there as well. Um,
0: Not a fan. Also, that's mm-hmm. possible.
1: I mean, it's Texas. Nav- it was uh, Nav- Navajo. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. They, they could have caught it on, on uh, camera. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Maybe it's Chupacabra looking for a meal at night.
0: I don't know, Chippecabra is supposed to have four legs. This baby got two,
1: okay, but there are different remember different forms of
0: Chippecabra, and honestly, the way his legs are bended, I just can't stop seeing somebody dancing <laughs> i I am I just see whatever this is dancing across he was, the field yes, he's he doing that <laughs> dance walk the yes, dance walk that's yes. what I'm getting. that's what I'm getting.
1: Oh, I fucking love it. I had to share. Was, okay, look, I had another one, and you didn't want to hear about that one. Okay,
0: which what was it? Probably Pokemon. Uh,
1: no, uh, okay, so um, Pokemon
0: found in real life.
1: Uh, something like that. Some fishermen caught a catfish, and and it's uh, you know, they're out fishing, of course, and they mm-hmm. caught a catfish, and they. Notice that it looked strange. Uh, The stomach was like protruding a little bit, like like he had eaten something. Like, you know, catfish, they they eat a lot of shit. Um, And this guy, it was like his first time out on, you know, this happened in Ohio. This this guy, his first time out fishing and stuff like that. And when they pull the catfish out, they see the stomach and they're like, okay, well, this is weird. Let's cut it open to see what it ate. Um, And they cut it open, they find like a big rubber ball in it. And then, and then, you know, they find, uh, you know, uh, seaweed and stuff. And they also find an unusual object.
0: Is this the one? The adult toy? Yes. <laughs> I did hear about this one. That's because catfish will eat almost anything. But they're so good.
1: Yeah, they are really good to eat. I love catfish. Like, they're my favorite thing. Yes, Seafood
0: yes. wise The to thing eat. is, I can't find anybody to show a picture of it because all the photos are blurred out.
1: <laughs> they are all blurred.
0: And I'm like, boo.
1: But yeah, that was my other one I was going to I, I want to know thinking. what
0: was in the catfish's tummy.
1: <laughs> they thought it was eggs, but it's funny because the guy, he cut it open in front of his daughter and his wife and, and his buddy. Oh
0: my and... gosh. If I was that mom, I would have been cackling. <laughs>
1: she was dying she was laughing like
0: reverse bad dragon (laughs) she was dying
1: but she said she had to shield her daughter's eyes from you know seeing the toy but (laughs) it's just funny and we're like how the hell does end up in the in the river like where we're fishing at i want to know oh goodness
0: but yeah that's um
1: that's what i got
0: (laughs) i gotcha i gotcha In 1988, a man by the name of Thomas Harris wrote a book called Silence of the Lambs. And he based his main character, Buffalo Bill Gum, on seven real-world killers. Oh, goodness. Now, we've already discussed a couple of them. Um, Yes. Harris borrowed Ted Bundy's whole injured cast ruse for one of the kidnappings in the book. He used Ed Gein's uh, efficient use of human flesh For the fact that Buffalo Bill used to make skin outfits. But one of the lesser known killers who inspired Harris was a man by the name of Gary Heidnik. And Heidnik is just as grim of a killer as the ones we've spoken about before. But I kind of wonder if his little reign of terror in Philadelphia was only four months long. It didn't really capture the nation like a lot of the other serial killers we talk about here. This was less serial killing and more just killing, but I think those of you who are listening will get to decide what you think about what happened at 3520 North Marshall Street in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but for now, we do like we do every week, and we start at the beginning. This all starts in a small suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, called Eastlake. Happy couple, Michael and Ellen Heidnik, lived in a tiny house in a lovely neighborhood, and nobody really had anything bad to say about the Hydniks. And on November 22nd, 1943, they added their first child to their family, Gary Michael Heidnick A year later, baby brother Terry would follow. Unfortunately, that's kind of when the family falls apart. Uh, probably the stress of having two kids back to back or just the times in the u.s but michael and ellen got divorced in 1946 it was not amicable ellen accused michael of gross neglect of duty we've heard that one before and michael said that ellen was a boozer and a wild woman now ellen remarried pretty quickly and retained full custody of both of her sons over the next four years Uh, Ellen honestly struggled through almost all of her adult life. Uh, First, Gary was only two and Terry wasn't even a year old. And as they grew over the next four years, the two little boys did not like each other. Um, And they weren't particularly fond of their mother. And this seems, I guess, odd until you learn that Ellen goes on to marry a total of four times. I think it's, it's rather common for children to blame whichever parent initiated the divorce. Uh, And when Michael remarried, he offered to take the children, and Ellen was like, sure, whatever. Um, Ellen isn't a major staple in Gary's life from this point forward, and she would actually go on to commit suicide in 1970, a definite foreshadowing in regards to her son's mental health, and perhaps some insight to why she was drinking so much. Uh, 1950, though, Gary and Terry move in with Michael and his new wife, the children already super disrespectful to their biological mother, didn't particularly care about this new woman. And they let her know it. Uh, Michael wasn't okay with this. And he was like, what they need is discipline. Both Gary and Terry would tell people later that Michael was both physically and emotionally abusive. Uh, Michael was known to humiliate Gary when they were out in public and put him in his place. Uh, Gary suffered from nocturnal aneurysis, which you would know as bedwetting. Uh, And he actually suffered most of his life through that childhood, well into adulthood. And Michael would make him hang his urine soaked sheets out of his bedroom for the neighborhood to see. Obviously we know that bedwetting is part of the McDonald Triad, which says that if two out of the three elements of the triad exist, this young person is considered to be potentially uh, violent in the future triad right, right. being bedwetting fire starting and animal cruelty
1: mm-hmm.
0: um in the past we kind of viewed bedwetting as an indication of an illness but it's actually an indication that there's a severe lack of confidence in a child or the child is frightened and gary was definitely frightened of his father he had virtually no confidence as his dad used humiliation as discipline and this just created this painful cycle because he never gained that confidence as his dad's only reaction was to further traumatize him. Uh, Gary would later say that his stepmother joined in on the mental abuse too. And as a young child, he pretty much uh, stayed in his room and avoided his parents as often as possible. After his first arrest in adulthood, Gary would tell the police about a situation where he tripped in a grocery store and knocked over some of the produce. And Michael started beating him to the point where it, people in the store stepped in. Oh. Um, Other times, if the boys made him mad, he would paint a bullseye on the seat of their pants and send them to school to get kicked or have things thrown at them. Um, Oh,
1: really? You you purposely want your children to be bullied in school?
0: Yeah, apparently. Wow. Gary also said there were times that Michael... held him and Terry outside of the second story window and threatened to drop them. Um, Michael would later tell the press that he never hit or harmed his children in any way. And he also said that he didn't teach his children to be prejudiced either. But that one I find a little questionable because I learned that Alan Heidnick went on to marry two separate black men. And I kind of wonder if Michael wasn't all that happy about it. And we were in a time period where racism was rampant in America. Hmm gotcha but it's no surprise with a dad like that that Gary has trouble in school when Terry was in first or second grade uh, Gary fell out of a tree oh, goodness. and hit his head
1: of course he fucking did really?
0: I knew you were gonna say that we're only one page <laughs> in Brian
1: okay first no first okay bed weather. he hit his head what's next Oh, goodness.
0: So his his classmates not really worried about his well-being responded by calling him football head because he had a flat spot on the crown. Oh. Terry stated that his brother changed after that fall. Uh, and I know what you're thinking because high <laughs> trauma. Here we go. Change of personality. But here's the problem. Terry never had a fall, you know, but he spent most of his life in mental institutions, too, and tried to kill himself multiple times, too, just like Gary okay well well, we have a a situation here gary's mom and brother both suffer from mental illness so i'm just saying i don't think the fall is why it presented itself in him okay okay. i think he was destined to pretty much have problems (laughs) but regardless Heading into early adolescence, Gary tries to be like the other kids. He joins the Boy Scouts. He works summer jobs like painting fire hydrants. And he even went on a couple dates, but nothing too much. He was very shy. But Gary was into two things as a kid, business and the military. He would read the business section in the Sunday paper, and he told his dad, one day I'm going to be a millionaire. And in eighth grade, he started wearing military fatigues, and he told his dad he was going to go to West Point. And Michael was like, This sounds like a great idea. So when Gary's 14 and just started ninth grade, Michael saves up the money and sends him to military school in Virginia. The Staunton Military Academy was actually considered to be one of the best, with very famous alumni like John Dean of uh, Watergate infamy, which hasn't happened yet. But at the time, he was doing real good in the government <laughs> before that happened. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> also, Barry Goldwater, who was a high, uh, highly ranked in both the, in the Air Force, National Guard, and Reserves, who later became a politician. Um, Gary only went for two years, but the school's uh, superintendent told the local papers, like after all the horrible things happened, that Gary was an exceptional student and never a disciplinary problem. Um, Gary would tell mental health professionals later that this was the first time in his life when he finally got to see a doctor. Um, He never admitted what made him seek out a psychiatrist, but the one thing he was very upset about is that the doctor wouldn't give him any medication and he dropped out of Staunton in his junior year. He went back to Cleveland and enrolled in Eastlake North High School, then six weeks later enrolled in East High School in Cleveland where he stayed for a month and then once he turned 17, he joined the Army. Uh, Gary left for basic training just before winter of 1961. And just like it's daunting, he was a star pupil. His drill sergeants found him to be uh, a great student. He graduated from basic training 13 months later, applied for military jobs, but the Army didn't really see him as a fighter despite him doing well in his combat drills, and they offered him a job as a medic. Hmm. Uh, Gary's like, okay, I'll take this job so I don't have to go back to Cleveland, and he ends up in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, he did great with his medical training, got a transfer to the 46th Army Surgical Hospital in Landstuhl, West Germany. He got his GED there after only a few weeks. Um, His military history shows that his colleagues speak very highly of him. His bosses said he's one of the best medics they had. He was socially quiet and didn't have many friends, but he was kind of channeling all of his energy into being excellent. Sometime, though, in Gary's teens, he started to think that... My own mind is incredible. Uh, His IQ was 130. And the people around me are not on my level. One of the things that really bugged him while he's doing this uh, tour in Germany is that he had been rejected for the job that he really wanted, which was military police. Um, Gary would later say that despite excelling in the military, he never felt pride in it. Like, where his colleagues would talk about, you know, the honor of serving, he said he just felt nothing. Now, here's the thing. Up to this point, Gary (laughs) hasn't shown any major serial killer tendencies.
1: Like, normally
0: by 19, we would see something. He did something. He hurt somebody. This all changes in August of 1962. But he doesn't hurt anyone. He reports to the hospital as a patient claiming severe headaches dizziness blurred vision to the point where he can't do his job coupled with nausea and vomiting and you don't Shit. need a degree to know that this sounds like a brain problem mm-hmm. but it's wild yeah. because it's so like delayed this is the kind of response that you get when people have that fall the first time not 10 years later but regardless they send him um, they, they call it a neurologist Who's like, all right, let's do all these tests. Now, the regular doctors were like, we think he has severe gastroenteritis. And the neurologist is like, no, (laughs) that's a stomach thing. This seems like a mental illness to me and prescribes an antipsychotic drug called Stelazine. Gary doesn't really get better and they transfer him back to the States to the military hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That neurologist diagnoses him with schizoid personality disorder and the army honorably discharges him. Now, after getting released from the military, Gary's kind of like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do now? I mean, his whole life he'd been planning on having this excellent military career and now nothing. And the doctors are saying that he's a mental case. And remember how I said that Gary kind of developed that superiority complex? Very much in a full effect. So even though he's kicked out of the military, he's like dealing with the fact that like the fact that they're saying he has mental problems kind of makes him feel inferior. So it's a bit of a clash. Mm -hmm. But he decided that since he's been trained to be a medic, he could go get a job as a nurse and. He very quickly is able to obtain his nursing license in Philly, and he decides while working as a nurse that he's gonna go to the University of Pennsylvania, which, for people who don't know, is an Ivy League school, and uh, study <laughs> medicine to become a doctor. So I'm like, this dude just got his GED like two, two, three years ago, and he's like, I'm gonna be a doctor. Woohoo! Um, this is a very lofty goal and very idealistic, uh, because like many of the other serial killers that we do talk about, Gary can't uh, seem to keep a job. In fact, he quits his first semester at the University of Pennsylvania. He gets a job as a psychiatric nurse at the Veterans Administration Hospital in Coatesville. And I gotta be real with you. I don't know why you would give someone who was just diagnosed as having schizophrenia, like six months ago, a job working with psychiatric patients. (laughs) he didn't know what he was doing Mm -hmm. and honestly he shouldn't have even been with those people and the people who worked with him at Coatesville said that he was awful he they said he had like an unchecked rage whenever he was dealing with patients and he didn't seem to care about them when he was alone with them he would yell at them and hit them very quickly Coatesville is like yeah we're gonna have to let you go buddy And the employee records say that they fired him because he wasn't showing up for work on a regular basis and he was rude to the patients. But they didn't need to say all that because Pennsylvania is an at-will employee state. (laughs) And truly, he was much worse than what they put in his file. Now, after this, Deary's like, maybe I'll go, like, make up with my family. And he reaches out to his mother, Helen. But he's disgusted with her because she's like, do you have any money? Because she's struggling and strung out uh he tries to talk to his father Michael and his stepmom that doesn't go well uh Michael is like totally disappointed in him and it's just like you had so much promise and you messed it up and so that relationship is not rekindled now one thing that did happen is that when you're in the military or at least you used to make a decent amount of money and when you get discharged there's sometimes money you still get So he takes this money and he purchases a three-story house uh, not far from the Elwyn Institute. The Elwyn Institute is an inpatient facility, and Gary would just kind of volunteer there, which seems totally altruistic, but you're going to find out why that's not true at all. Okay. Um, The other issue we have here (laughs) is that Gary's still not spending time with people like his own age. He's in his early 20s, and he's not interacting with any women he's not making friends with young men and in his mind he's like none of these people are good enough for me um but i obviously have a lot of questions about that like part of me just wonders if this was him pretending to be better than everyone else like it's one of those things like if you never let anybody in you'll never be let down nobody can reject me because i've already rejected you that's kind of the vibe i got from him at this stage of his life now i mentioned earlier that ellen's life just continues to spiral out of control. Gary didn't have a lot of contact with her during the military time, but he does reconnect with his brother, Terry. Um, I can only say that their relationship is pretty much the two of them taking each other to an institution to be committed, like, back and forth. Like, if Terry was in the hospital, Gary was out. And if Gary was uh, uh, in the hospital, Terry was out like that's kind of their relationship. So they're not like super buddy, buddy, brother close. But like, at least they feel like, you know, I'll do for you. Either way, though, Terry lets uh, Gary know that Helen's been hospitalized multiple times for her mental health issues. She's been diagnosed with bone cancer. She overdosed on her meds. She has a severe alcohol dependency. And then on May 30th, 1970, when Gary is 26 years old, uh, Ellen killed herself. Um, She was extremely depressed. She had no money, no family. And obviously she didn't feel like she had anything to live for. She didn't leave a suicide note or anything. They discovered her cause of death at her autopsy. um, Because they discovered mercuric chloride in her stomach. Um, So you've been to a hairdresser brian yes you know that blue stuff barbicide
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: right so pretty much mercuric chloride is that but clear it's just the old-timey version so the stuff that they use at the hair salon to sterilize the combs and the scissors the reason why they make it blue now is because of accidents in the past right Um, right so it's a very caustic chemical that shouldn't be in your body, um, and that's that's what she did. Uh, it's, after it's forbidden Gatorade. It is forbidden Gatorade. Uh, I actually ended up when I was looking up what it looked like. I found like an old timey bottle of like the powder version, and it's just like caution poison on the bottle (laughs) (laughs) and then underneath of it it gave you the remedy for if somebody ate it or drank it what you're supposed to feed them to save their life
1: oh my god
0: and i'm like this is why they put those caps those special caps on bottles (laughs) because of (laughs) what happened 70 years ago but regardless um Gary has Ellen cremated. He takes her ashes to Niagara Falls and, and dumps them over the falls. I don't know if Gary is wise enough to see that both his mother and brother were on the same path he was. Because Gary's suicide attempts started in 1963. And over the next 17 years, he's going to try another 12 times. Um, his first attempt was taking 30 of his schizophrenic meds. The Second time he tried rat poison. God. Uh, one time he tried to eat a light bulb. Another time he drove his motorcycle headfirst into a truck. Oh Another time he tried to hang himself. He OD'd several times on Stelazine and Thorazine, and pretty much after every suicide attempt, he'd submit himself to a facility or he would let Terry take him there. After the second suicide attempt, the doctors are like, "Let's do a reevaluation." and one of his evaluations said his psychosis was from acute depression the other said no he's schizophrenic during these stays after the suicide attempts though like gary would go through these weird phases like sometimes he wouldn't speak and so the hospital thought that he was being difficult until he started speaking like three ways weeks into one of his hospital stays and his words were slurring and he wasn't making sense and so they're like is this a side effect of the drugs that he took to try and kill himself or is this mental illness mm-hmm. and then just as they're like trying to find like a good course of treatment for him he just walks out against medical advice which he does multiple times which is so intriguing because all on one hand, he's like desperately begging the hospitals to keep him, and then he leaves. <laughs> after he uh. drove, yeah, after he drove into the truck, they held him on a suicide watch, and they're like, "This is schizophrenic reaction and an anxiety reaction." They also typed his schizophrenia as catatonic. We don't really do that anymore, as catatonia is its own diagnosis. Um, which is just a—it's a, a behavior where a person doesn't respond to your environment. They don't speak. Sometimes people just sit or they stand in an unusual position and aren't taking in like external Everything. stimulus. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, they tested him this time, and he scored in the 95th percentile in terms of intelligence, and with no college degree, Gary outscored 75% of college students taking the same aptitude tests. Um, The other thing they picked up on was that they said he had a preoccupation with being in control. Summer of 1971, he submits himself to the VA hospital in Maryland, and one of his doctors wrote in his chart, the patient seems to be settling in for life.
1: Oh, damn. Okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like they didn't like the fact that he seemed like he was going to just kind (laughs) of he was just chill there. there yeah
1: <laughs> hey, this is home now
0: during that stay he refused to bathe or take off a black leather jacket uh, um, and he would do this weird thing where he would stop talking um and then he would like pull up one pant leg and then he wrote down a piece of paper when my pant leg is pulled up that means don't bother me <laughs> It's very much like something a child would do. Honestly, <laughs> it, is. it is. It just makes me think of like an eight year old. Like this is my. This means leave me alone. <laughs> and then just like that, it all stopped. His doctors were a little relieved to kind of see him gone, but everybody sort of was like, "I don't. He's not better." No, it should have just kept him there. God. They were like, "He's definitely not better yet, but he's just not behaving strangely." Um, And for the next seven years, there are no more suicide attempts. And that's because October 12th, 1971, Gary decides he's going to open up a church. Um, In the spring of that year, he'd driven across the country to Malibu, California, and he said that he had been visited by God himself. He also said that Jesus gave him stock tips. Ooh. Now, when I say that Gary made a church, I don't mean that like he, he Charles Manson did. I mean... He filed the proper paperwork with the government to incorporate <laughs> a church under the name the United Church of the Ministers of God. Oh, wow. He only had five members his brother Terry and a couple of the people he met in one of his facilities. Hey and it's so wild that i keep stumbling into cult-like things because i did not intend that with this week's episode
1: i was about to say this is like the what the yeah
0: this is like the third one
1: yeah i was gonna say in a row third and, in a row i think
0: it's- well and i'm like and there's things that gary heidnik did that marcus wesson did very interesting um and it's definitely a cult phase because gary referred to himself in the documents as the leader for life oh goodness um, None of them have the money for land, so they use the house that he has on 4700 Cedar Avenue in West Philly. And he creates this church constitution. He files it with an investment firm. He opens up a bank account with Merle Lynch and puts $1,500 in it. And he told the bank he was the church's duly appointed elected bishop, which was a bold-faced lie, (laughs) but it didn't matter. Like there were 18 articles in this constitution. And the most interesting one says that Gary will be the bishop of this church as long as he's alive. Article six says the duties of the bishop are many and has control extensive. He says the final word on the interpretation of the Bible or settling religious disputes, except for divine intervention. He will usually be able to act even without the consent or notification of the five person board of directors. Which means, why do you have a board of directors, sir? <laughs> if you make all the rules and what you say goes all the time. Thank God. <clears throat> but it's almost like through this church, Gary gets to act out all these fantasies of being in charge. There's no way he's going to be a five-star general, but as the bishop, he's in control. The whole church thing is a bad idea, but it, it did sort of give his life like some purpose um he still believed that everybody else was unworthy to even like walk next to him uh which is why nobody in the church really liked him (laughs) uh but he wasn't trying to kill himself anymore so net positive He,
1: he had a purpose i guess
0: now gary realizes that if he goes to the local asylum and spoke to the people who were there they could be a part of his church and he specifically had a lot of parishioners who had mental health issues and mental disabilities. Um, and he realizes that he can make money off of these people. And very quickly, the United Church of the Ministers of God makes over $500,000 with over 50 members, which would be about $1.3 million in today money. Oh, damn uh, but Gary's manipulation of the disability community doesn't stop with the church. It actually gets much worse. Um, now he does manage to keep it together a little bit in the beginning of the church, um, but he did end up going back to facilities. And when he wasn't in the hospital, Bishop Gary would hold services in his home. And one of the board members would uh, get the biggest vehicle that had the most space And go pick up members of the congregation from Elwyn and then take them back to Gary's house where he would teach them how to read the hymns and play gospel music on his stereo. Uh, Gary would then preach a little sermon. They would all get in the the van and go to McDonald's or Roy Rogers. I will say, though, his church sounds a lot like a lot of fun because I know, right? Because sometimes they also went to like amusement parks.
1: Oh, take me to Hershey Park. Let's go. I'm
0: like, (laughs) y'all went, they went to Six Flags, New Jersey, or whatever was Six Flags before it was called Six Flags, (laughs) but same place. Uh, this This seems like a good time, and like, he seems like he's trying to do it real deal. It's making so much money that Gary buys another house and begins renting the one on Cedar Avenue out. That one would become the one on Marshall Street that would become the site of the murders. Mm -hmm. Still, even though Gary's got this purpose now, he really can't stay out of trouble. Uh, He gets arrested in 1946 for carrying a pistol without a license and an aggravated assault after he shoots at the boyfriend of one of his tenants. Uh, The bullet only grazed that guy's face, but, you know, don't shoot people. Uh, Gary had gotten into an argument with the tenant and went into the basement and turned off her electricity. And the tenant's boyfriend went down there and was like, you better turn that back on. He gets shot at and then talks Gary out of shooting him again and hits Gary with his own gun. Oh, my God. The neighbors were less excited about this. And an administrator for the University of Pennsylvania ended up making an offer on the house and Gary sold it. The family who moved in were kind of grossed out because the house was just full of porn and garbage. And it was even weirder. They found a two-foot hole in the ground in the basement. So Gary kind of looks at his life, and he's like, the only thing I'm really missing is a lady. And he's interested in sex. I mean, he's almost 30 years old. But he'd never actually done it. And so he ends up meeting and dating a woman and moving in with her, her name was Anjanette Davidson. Um, Anjanette was mentally uh, disabled and she couldn't read. And she lived at 2331 North 58th Street, which was a pretty poor neighbor at the time, neighborhood at the time. Um, today, there's a little apartment complex there. And it's near St. Joseph's University, which is a prestigious university. So it's a beautiful place. If, um, But Gary absolutely manipulated his first girlfriend. Um, she was deemed to have an IQ of 49 and at the time 70 or below was deemed legally mentally handicapped as in, you can't take care of yourself. Um, gets pregnant almost right away and Gary refuses to let her go to the hospital or receive any medical care. Um, he's like, it's fine. I went to doctor school for like a month and I was a nurse. I got this. Um, A month before the baby is due, Anjanette's older sister shows up at the apartment with a police escort and takes her away, Uh, which actually saved her life because they learned that she had a large fibroid tumor and she would not have been able to deliver a baby at home. Uh, On March 22nd, uh, 1978, Anjanette gave birth to a baby girl named Maxine, who was healthy, but the child was put up for foster care. Because Anjanette could not legally take care of this child. So Anjanette goes back home. And there's Gary. So they kind of get back together again. <laughs> he never moved out of her apartment. On May 7th, Gary and Anjanette drive to Salems Grove Center, which is a facility for adult people with who are, are mentally handicapped. Uh, and it's near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And they're like, we're going to go visit Anchinette's sister, Alberta. Uh, Alberta Davidson's ability level was that of about a five-year-old. But she enjoyed visits from her big sister. Uh, Gary signed Alberta out for a short-term visit uh, at 1230. And she was supposed to be returned by morning the next day. When Alberta didn't come back, they made calls. And when days turned into weeks, they turned to the police who told them to get a court order to return Alberta to the facility. That court order came through on May 16th and they showed up at Anjanette's door. And Gary's like, she's not here. Come in and look. And they do. And he tells them that they put Alberta on a bus to Grove. <laughs> That's not good enough, though. The <laughs> officials from Grove come back the next day with a police escort And permission to search the entire apartment building from the the apartment complex. And they find Alberta in a storage closet in the basement. As soon as she sees the woman from Salisgrove, she runs over and hugs her. And Gary says in front of the police, if you go with them, they're going to lock you up and you'll never see your sister again. Oh. Alberta leaves anyway. So back at the center, the doctors give her a physical and notice that it appears that she had sex recently. And from there, they do a rape kit, um, shows traces of sperm in her mouth, gonorrhea in her throat, and the center takes us to the police. And three weeks later, Gary is arrested and charged with kidnapping, rape, false imprisonment, unlawful restraining, and voluntary deviant sexual intercourse. Interfering with the custody of a committed person and reckless endangerment of another person. Gary, of course, is like, I'm innocent. And to prove it, he's like, I will take an STD panel for you. And he comes back negative for gonorrhea.
1: Huh, interesting. Okay, then somebody else did this, right?
0: Well,. Case goes to trial in November of 1978. Gary waives his right to trial by jury and he gets on the stand and talks about how he bought Alborner clothing and they were going to teach her about money and she said she didn't want to go back. He denies forcing her to do anything or keeping her hostage. Um, The slam dunk about gonorrhea is quickly shot down in court when the prosecution learns that Gary has access to the drugs that you need to treat gonorrhea.
1: Oh, Yeah, (laughs) it's
0: not one of the ones that stays around long term. You just need some penicillin. I might be wrong, though, but it is something in the penicillin (laughs) family. Um, He also admitted that he lied to the center about where Alberta was. Um, The only thing his defense did was just, like, card out Gary's history of institutionalization. And the Common Police Court Judge uh, Charles Mirarchi wrote in his report, He appears to be extremely insecure and confused. Uh, Records indicate he is suffering from a major mental illness, which apparently has been of long standing. He is also psychosexually immature. He appears easily threatened by women whom he would consider to be equal to him and either intellectually or emotionally. His defense cannot tolerate, cannot tolerate criticism. Gary needs constant assistance and self-assurance that he is an intelligent, worthwhile human being. The judge definitely had his number and seemed empathetic, but still found him guilty. And the judge ordered a pre-sentence report to be done on Gary. That investigator did not paint Gary in a good light. His report said, Heidnik appears to be manipulative and he is certainly lacking in judgment. He impresses me as someone who sees himself as superior to others, although apparently he must involve himself to reinforce this. It is my opinion, based on my extensive investigation, that he is not only a danger to himself, but perhaps a greater danger to others in the community, especially those who he perceives as weak and independent and dependent. Unfortunately, it seems to me that he will not significantly change his aberrant behavior pattern in the near future. And so honestly, the judge wanted to give him a harsh penalty because he took the word of his court investigators very seriously. But the problem was, because of Alberta's state of mind, they couldn't put her on the stand. Um, And so they had to drop the rape, kidnapping, involuntary intercourse, and false imprisonment charges, which were the felonies.
1: Well, so all charges dropped.
0: Well, what they were left with was a bunch of misdemeanors. And the judge gave him a three to seven year sentence at the state penitentiary. (laughs) Years later, actually, after Gary committed worse crimes, the judge told reporters, if it had been within my power to give him a longer sentence, I would have um gary's attorney actually said that this was his first offense and seven years was too long so the judge orders another doctor to evaluate him dr wayne blodgett and that one was even more on the nose than the first one dr blodgett was like listen he is highly likely to commit similar crimes in the future direct quote of particular concern is the defendant's potential for engaging in sexually assaultive crimes against females and in order to avoid such a tragedy in the future it will be necessary for him to be closely supervised and for him to receive continued surveillance over a long period of time (laughs) gary however never spent a hard day in prison essentially what happened is that he was sent to the medical wing of greaterford prison until he was transferred to Norristown state hospital. And then he was sent to Fairview, which is our state's maximum security hospital for the criminally insane. And this cycle happened 12 times over the next six years. Like they, like they just, he just kept getting shifted from one place to another. Like we can't handle him. You take him. Um, halfway through his sentence, he goes through the mute phase again, writing notes about how people can't talk to him. Um, it was funny, too, because one time one of his friends came to visit and the guards saw him start talking to his friend and the guard was like, oh, look, you can talk. And Gary's like, oh, it's a miracle. And then stop talking <laughs> to him.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Such a
0: the parole board was like, he's messing with us and he's not going through the process and getting better. So they denied his parole three times, citing that he needed psychiatric help. Almost towards the end of his sentence, he was greenlit to move to a normal inpatient facility in Coatesville, the VA mental health unit. Um, He was released on April 12th, 1983, and was kept under surveillance for three more years as part of his parole. I wish I could say this had any bearing or change to the future crimes, but he learned nothing. Nothing changed.
1: Hmm.
0: After six years in prison and two years of parole, though, with required mental health and check-ins and things, Gary's like, I want to let loose. I want to be married. It's October of 1985. He's almost 42 years old. He's had about five or six girlfriends, most casual. He doesn't know how to speak to women, and Gary decides he wants two things in life. He wants to have sex, and he wants her to not be American. Oh, okay. Okay. So he went to a lonely hearts company that specializes in setting up marriages and they told him to look for an, and I quote, oriental virgin, which is the only time you're going to hear me use that term because oriental is steeped in racism and sexism when it comes to women. Mm-hmm. Now, for people who are new to the podcast, we've talked about these sort of Lonely Hearts companies that were very popular in the early to mid 20th century. The way they worked is that you paid this like magazine to pretty much list that you were single and details about you. And it went out to other paying subscribers. Um, it was very much a business. So I'm going to read to you what Gary said in his. American male, single, age 36, occupation, nurse. That was it.
1: Um, okay, what, what, what do I do with that? It's also,
0: like, um, he's not 36, and uh, yeah, he's, he's not like a nurse. He's like almost 40, right? He's, 40 he's 42.
1: It, it's funny, it's like it's like those dating profiles where they just say, just ask. Yup. And you're like, what the fuck? No.
0: Well, a couple weeks later, he gets a hit from a lady named Betty Ditso. Betty was Filipina, and she sent Gary a letter he immediately responds by sending her a color picture of him looking very intense and brooding. From the photo, Betty couldn't tell that he was all that much older. And on the back of it, he wrote, Dearest Betty, greetings from the land of ice and snow. Your friend, Gary. And she sent a picture of herself. And Gary was just like, wow. According to Gary, super beautiful. As far as he's concerned, he hit the jackpot. Uh, Years later, in the Philadelphia Inquirer interview uh, with Michael Ruane, Betty would say that these beginning months were quite wonderful. Like, for almost a year, they wrote back and forth letters, like, every other week. Occasionally, they were able to talk to each other on the phone. Gary told her he was a minister in a church that he founded, and Betty thought that was weird. But she was also like, oh, no, Americans do weird stuff.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, And then he proposed. Now, Betty is the youngest of six children. Her father died when she was 12 and he was a police officer and her mom was really handling all of the kids getting married and leaving. And Betty's mom is just like, do not go to America. And Betty's mom made a lot of good points. She's like, listen, you don't know anything about him? He could be a monster. He could be a witch. Uh, Right. But Betty was just like, no, I'm going to America. She got a visa. Gary bought her a ticket. She took a very long trip from Manila to Tokyo to New York to Philadelphia. And Gary met her there at the airport. And in person, oh she said he, she thought he looked like Dracula because he, he was wearing oh a black leather vest, black pants, and a black shirt. <laughs> now, now, here's the interesting thing, right? He kissed her on the cheek when they meet. And apparently, that's very awkward because I'm not sure about what's going on now in the Philippines, but definitely back then. Public displays of affection, not okay. And so Gary kind of recognizes that she's a little weirded out. And he's like, hey, you know, I know we're not married yet. Do you want to stay in a hotel instead? And then once we get married, you can come stay with me. And but he's like, no, 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 it's fine. I trust you. And so they go to the house on Marshall Street. And he brings her to a room that's not his room. And he's just like, you have to sleep here. And like the tenant who's renting that room is asleep already oh, um, he's like just sleep next uh, to her <laughs> i guess i thought he thought in his head like well then we won't like fornicate you know before we get married okay. <laughs> it's
1: so weird it's so weird
0: which is super weird because he already got and right. pregnant and raped her sister alberta but he's being weird about his wife it's bizarre Um, regardless so they go about getting married within four days they drive down to Elkton Maryland on October 3rd get married and then they went to stay at the Marriott in downtown Philadelphia where they had their honeymoon night and then back to the house on Marshall Street the following day because you know people gotta work Um, for the first week uh, Betty said that Gary called her honey and always asked her if he could do anything to help her and we're gonna have kids soon and it's gonna be amazing and, and then one day, Betty went out to do some shopping. And when she came back, she heard some strange noises coming from their bedroom. And when she opened the door, Gary was in bed oh. with three other women. She turns around, runs down the steps, crying. Gary chases her. And she's like, you know, give me a ticket. I want to go home. Gary's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is normal in America. Okay. And so Betty's, yup, yeah, yeah. He Listen, we just yeah, always obviously. have orgies. This is what we do here. And so Betty's like, I don't think I can handle that. And he's like, you're going to have to because I'm the boss. But at this point, he's done with his parole check-ins. And uh, he's back to hanging out at Elwyn. And he's having his church services on Sunday at the new place. When, when you
1: say done with his, with his parole check, do you just mean like he didn't want to go anymore, or like he was done, done? Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> no, like he really doesn't have to. The okay. final, we're hitting, we're almost at the final day. So he's shifting back into normal mode. Um, the thing is, Betty said that there wasn't a time period that she lived with him where there weren't women in the house. And a lot of them were met or transient women, which makes me think that he was making them trade sex for a place to stay. Uh, At first she did complain about it until he started hitting her. And then when he got mad at her, he'd make her stand up in the corner for 12 hours or he refused to let her even go in the kitchen to eat anything. Or he'd force her to watch him have sex with other people and then demand she make food for them. Um, Betty recalls the worst day being January 12th, 1986. She complained about his lifestyle and he grabbed her by the hair, slapped her in the face, punched her in the arms and legs and raped her both vaginally and anally and told her, if you run away, I will kill you. Now, Betty was worried, but she had made a couple of friends since she had moved to the States in the Filipina community. And after the attack, she talked to her friends and they were like, listen, don't even worry about it. Leave. We will hide you. And on January 16th, only three hundred, only three and a half months after arriving in America, Betty takes her passport and a spare dress, puts them in a plastic bag and hides them outside of the house. She tells Gary she's going shopping and she grabs that bag and goes to the police. On January 27th, 1986, the district attorney's office charges Gary with spousal rape and voluntary deviant sexual intercourse, simple assault, and indecent assault. They pick him up on January 29th, which is the exact date that his parole expired (laughs) for the crime against Alberta Davidson. unfortunately gary does not seek court for this because they set a hearing in march to look at evidence and betty doesn't show up um in fact the police haven't been able to reach her at all without her testimony there's no trial and the charges are dismissed um the reason why betty doesn't make an appearance is because she's three months pregnant and she's absolutely terrified of what will happen Uh, once he finds out that the baby's on the way
1: yeah that's bad bad news bears
0: yeah yeah september 15th she delivers a baby she names him jesse john heidneck she sends gary a postcard letting him know he's a father
1: <laughs>
0: and he's not allowed to know where she is the only contact she has with him from that point on is if he misses his 135 dollar weekly payment oh wow gary distraught over his wife leaving, begins planning something that I can only describe as bizarre. He tells police later that he started thinking about this plan after Betty left him. And I think he decided to go along with it once he learned about the baby and that he wasn't going to get to meet JJ. Gary's idea built upon what happened with Alberta Davidson. He decided that he was going to kidnap lock up and impregnate 10 different women Um, only he was going to choose different women this time women who people didn't know where they were depending on the day which means I think you know exactly who some of his targets were (laughs) yep
1: here here we we, go you know
0: here we go again we always talk about this which is that if if there were more protections for sex workers we wouldn't have this problem But Gary puts his plan into effect on November 25th, 86. His first victim is Josephina Rivera. She was a 25-year-old prostitute from North Philadelphia. Uh, Josephina and her boyfriend, Vincent Nelson, had gotten into an argument in their home. Uh, Vincent, 30, didn't really like that his girlfriend was a working girl. But Josephina's like, listen, this job's giving me the best... Uh, this is not a good pun, but bang for my buck. And um, Josephina was just like listen i'm beautiful she's young puerto rican and black um and she's making good money now Josephina heads out that night mad at her boyfriend but she's like whatever i'll you know turn a couple tricks make some money and maybe i'll go back um her normal spot was third and gerard and she'd walk her little path around the neighborhood until somebody drove by and talked to her gary approached her sometime in the evening in a pewter over white cadillac coupe de ville uh immediately he knew what was up and he propositioned her they decided on an amount got into the car the car itself was only nine days old josephina told him that her name was nicole and he was like my name's gary they stop at mcdonald's he has a cup of coffee um josephina definitely feels like he's dressed like someone who has money he's got this gold chain with this like big gold cross on it he's wearing a rolex a cowhide jacket with leather fringe. Um, which is weird because there was a dichotomy with him, which is like he might wear nice clothes, but mm-hmm. he didn't like
1: so he's comb his he's hair. still a like a I say like a um, werewolf, but in a nice suit in a nice clothes, basically.
0: Um yeah. Now, at this time, uh, 3250 North Marshall Street in North Philly, like the area originally was kind of where a lot of the blue collar immigrants worked. A lot of Germans had settled there uh, when they immigrated to the US and they maintained very beautiful, meticulous homes. But by 1986, the neighborhood was called the OK Corral because there had been a massive shootout between a couple of wannabe drug runners, Mm -hmm. you know, who were all trying to be the new kingpin. Um, everybody was unhappy with that nickname and a lot of people started moving out of the area and crack and coke started moving in the area it was very much the 80s so as they pull into the garage Josephina sees the also side note that was an amazing factor too like this house had a garage so in a lot of spaces in North Philly it's just straight row homes so in the middle of this block there's a duplex and he has half of it. So he's only attached on one side. It has its own garage. And it's like pulled back from the street. It definitely was just ran- weirdly built there. But uh, they pull in the garage. And Josefina sees he's got a 1971 Rolls Royce. Which he had paid $17,000 in cash for. And they got to the door and... Uh, Josephina recognizes that there's something weird here. Gary carries this weird stump of a piece of metal, and he tells her that what he had done was put the original key in the lock, cut it off, and then made it so that only his key could work on the house. You're right. Which yeah, is so weird because he still has tenants out. there. <laughs> oh, no. He offers to watch a movie, but she's like, no, I have a couple kids at home and my babysitter leaves at midnight. Um, After they have sex, Gary puts on his clothes and Josephina gets dressed and or she's trying to get dressed and he grabs her by the throat, handcuffs her right wrist, cuffs her behind her back and forces her down a flight of steps. Any sign of her slowing down, he threatens to hit her. Um, down the basement he connects her ankle to a contraption he made out of a muffler clamp um, and then that was connected to chains which were thrown over a five inch thick pipe that came out of the ceiling and ran across the room to the other side Um, Josephina is still naked here and he's like sit down and she sits on this gross mattress there's only one and then he lays his head on her lap and he falls asleep yep then when they wake up, um, she gets a chance to really see where she is. It's dingy, dark, gross basement. And right in the middle of the room, Gary had removed a small part of concrete and it was digging a shallow pit in the ground beneath it. Um, He came downstairs, offered her a Thanksgiving meal of egg salad and orange juice, which she declined because she thought he was trying to poison her and that the hole in the middle of the room was a grave. He went back upstairs and at some point, um, he came down and started digging again. She asked him, like, why am I here? And he told her all I ever wanted was a large family. Um, I already fathered four children with different women, but somehow they've all been taken from me. Uh, he told Josephina that his plan was to bring other women down there and pregnant them. They'd have a large family and everyone would live together happily ever after. Um, in fact, he told her, society owes me a why, wife and a why family. this <laughs> <sighs> After digging, he raped her and then went back upstairs. Um, once Gary left, Josephina tried to escape. She managed to open the basement window and get about halfway out of the window, um, but she was stopped by the chain. And so she's just hanging halfway out of this, one of those windows that's almost right on the ground and she's screaming. Uh, But the problem is there's a lot of screaming in the okay corral. And the only person who heard her was Gary and he dragged her back into the basement and beat her with a stick until she calmed down. He then pulled her into the half dug pit in the floor, told her to keep her head on her chest, covered it with a piece of wood And to make sure that if she screamed again, she wouldn't be heard, he turned on the radio to heavy metal as loud as possible and left. Um, In Josephine's book called Cellar Girl, she writes about how she realized that fighting wasn't going to make a difference. And she said that, like, first day, she just laid there waiting to die. Um, She heard him go about his day, argue with his tenants, Uh, eventually he came back and she heard the sound of a chain being dragged across the floor and a woman crying. That woman was Sandra Lindsay. Um, Sandra was crying and he shackled her to the pipe before pulling Josephina out. She was faint from lack of food and water and she could barely walk after being in this tiny hole for hours. Um, When Josephina got her bearings, she kind of looked at Sandra and realized that Sandra didn't seem to know what was going on. Um, Gary left the two of them together and Sandra told her, you know, I'm 24. I've known him for four years. We met at Elwyn. She said that Gary would pick her up and bring her back to the house. They'd eat McDonald's and she'd have sex with him and the church driver, Tony Brown. Sandra was one of the women who had been pregnant with Gary's child, but she was scared of giving birth so she had an abortion. Um, Sandra was intellectually disabled, just like Ann Jeanette in Alberta. Um, Gary made a mistake grabbing Sandra. Her family knew Tony. And Tony knew that mm-hmm. Sandra frequently visited Gary. Now, Tony Brown was also intellectually disabled, but he was still a, a very loose end. After about an hour of dropping Sandra in the basement, he came back all smiles, offering food, not great, crackers and water. He went to digging um, and needed to be big enough to fit two people now. Um, After digging for a while, he raped both women and informed the women that Sandra had promised to have his baby but had backed out before. And now she can't back out anymore. Following morning, he gives them oatmeal and Sandra's sister, Teresa Lomax, and her two cousins show up at the door. Just banging. He made Sandra write a letter that said, dear mom, do not worry. Mm -hmm. I will call, which is not a good letter. But Gary's plan was to take it to New York and mail it so that her family thought she'd run away. The next month in the cellar is pretty terrible routine. He keeps the radio on at all hours and out of reach so they can't yell. Um, They're only allowed to wear a T-shirt, no underwear. They aren't allowed to clean themselves. He did buy them tampons uh, and bought a portable toilet, but he wouldn't let them bathe. He gave each of them like disposable wipes to clean up, like the kind for babies. And they begged him for blankets because it was December in Philadelphia um josephina remembers that the entire time she was in the basement she was always hungry gary never gave them enough food to like get strong which is wild because he wants them to be pregnant and like you need a you You need need a healthy body to have a baby but whatever they subsisted on oatmeal pop tarts rice uh overcooked hot dogs occasionally if Gary got like fried chicken from a restaurant, he'd save stuff for them. Um, there's the only way to say this is to say this part of the routine was that he would show up at least once a day, force them to perform oral sex on him, then vaginal sex to completion. This was not at all like fun for him. He was very much in it just to get them pregnant. In fact, um, While he has these women kidnapped, he is actively casually having sex with random oh women God. and hiring prostitutes. He like his his direct purpose is that these women baby factory mm-hmm. must inseminate them. Um, But if either of them screamed or cried, he would beat them until they begged for mercy. At some point, he began adding soundproofing to the ceiling and windows um he also put up a punishment like hook in the middle of the room um it was it hung about seven feet off of the floor if he found one of them to misbehave he would string them up so they were standing on their tiptoes for hours with their hands above their head um he also beat them with shovels and if you made him mad he only gave you bread and water as punishment and he had to do all this to keep them quiet because Sandra's family had received a letter from New York, but they were still showing up every day. Um, Sandra's mom reported her missing on December 3rd, 1986. But once the police got the letter, they stopped searching. So it was really up to the family at that point. Well, so here's what happened. They ended up talking to Tony and they were like, hey, what's your friend's last name? And Tony spelled Heidnik wrong. And so when they plugged his name into the system, he didn't come up. And if the police had done their due diligence, they would have known about Alberta and probably Mm -hmm. stepped in before anybody died. So December 22nd, Gary finds woman number three while driving down Lehigh Street. Her name is Lisa Thomas and she was 19 years old. She had dropped out of school um, in her her junior year because she got pregnant and that baby was with her mother that night gary rode up beside her offered her a ride at first lisa told him no because she was like i'm not a prostitute dude and he's like no 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 it's cold out i'm just trying to give you a ride um she finally accepted and she he kind of won her over because he didn't try and touch her and he did take her to her friend's house like she asked which it's wild because this is 1986 (laughs) and the bar is in hell for basic human decency like, she was just like, oh, he's not a bad guy because he didn't try and, like, rub my leg during the four block drive. And he actually took me where he told me he was going to take me. Um, afterward, uh, so pretty much what happened was he was just like, well, you know, are you going to be long time or not? And she's just like, it's a short trip. And so she comes back out, gets in the car with him. They go eat. Um, he wants to impress her, so no McDonald's this time. TGI Fridays. Um, he's like, hey, I'm going to Atlantic City this weekend. You should come with me. And she was like, I don't have any clothes for that kind of a trip. So he gives her money to go shopping. They get a couple things from Sears, and he's like, I bought them. I'd like to see you wear them. And so they go back to the house on Marshall Street. He gave her a wine cooler. Um, Gary didn't know, but Lisa was taken. Uh, mm mm-hmm allergy meds and the drink mixed with the meds kind of knocked her out um he undressed her takes her upstairs and when she wakes up the way she said is they had sex but i'm gonna say that i don't think that's very consensual because if i wake up and i'm naked and you're naked right next to me agreeing to anything in that moment is just you trying to avoid like being hurt um, she's like so afterwards she's like alright can I go back to my friend's house now and he puts her in a chokehold until she almost passes out uh, she wakes up in the basement with the other two women and he introduces Lisa to Sandra and Josephina. Um, he raped Lisa in front of the other two women and then made them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches now believe it or not 10 days after kidnapping Lisa Gary's like you know what time to grab another and he comes home with Deborah Johnson Dudley on New Year's Eve. I'm actually, wrong. Uh, you see what's funny? I wrote New Year's Eve and then I crossed <laughs> it out and wrote New Year's Day, and I still said the wrong thing. Um, he comes back with Deborah on New Year's Day. Uh, Deborah's 23 years old. They don't know a lot about how he picked her up, um, but what we do know is that Deborah uh, did not want to be there, and she made it known at every available moment. Uh, I like to think that I would be Deborah in this situation. We'll talk about that. Uh, Gary defined her as a <laughs> constant source of aggravation. interesting. That's what he told his attorney. Uh, and the problem is he already has three women in here. Um, there's only one nasty mattress. Sometimes he throws random people into mm-hmm. the the pit, which can only fit like two people at best. Um, and he's just, like, Deborah's annoying because she refuses to stop yelling, screaming, oh no. and fighting him whenever he tries to assault her. Now, Josephina is probably the most street smart out of all the women down there. So um, I would say probably Deborah too, because obviously Deborah knew what she was doing. Uh, but Josephina worked as a prostitute for a chunk of her adult life, and she grew up on the, the streets in North Philly. So she was like, if I do exactly what he says, he'll start to trust me. And when he trusts yeah. me, that's when I can get out of here. So what she also noticed is that as he begins to start trusting her, he stops beating her. In fact, when Lisa was interviewed, she said that she didn't remember seeing Gary hit Josephina ever, which means by December 22nd, Josephina had figured out how to manipulate Gary. Gary tries to manipulate the rest of the group though. He decides that when he leaves, he's going to put one of them in charge for the day. And when he comes back, he demands to know which of the other women misbehave and they can't say nobody. Mm-hmm. So you have to point somebody out regardless so he can punish them, which creates this general sense of, of distrust among the women and keeps them at odds right. with each other. So they can't ban it together and fight him sometimes he would make whoever was in charge beat the other girls um he was still forcing at least one of them to have sex with him every single day um sometimes he would go from woman to woman until he got tired uh then when he got tired he would make them have sex with each other while he watched eventually gary realizes that with all of the <laughs> fluids think? and things they might need to clean themselves uh it took a couple of weeks um So he Mm -hmm. starts letting them have a bath about once a week. And so he'll take one of them upstairs, let her soak in the bathroom in his part of the house, and then take her into his room and rape her there. Now, with hygiene improved, food gets worse. Um, While feeding his dogs, he he goes, oh, I could feed them this. And sometimes in lieu of a beating, he would make them just eat dog food. Um, but if there were special days, they got Chinese takeout. Now, on January 18th, he kidnaps 18 year old Jacqueline Askins. Uh, she was a petite girl who worked on the street near a motel. He took her home for an appointment, dragged her into the cellar, uh, just beat the crap out of her to show that he was serious and then hooked her up with all the others. Um But that night he was like super excited because both Sandra and Josephina had Mm. missed a period, which obviously meant they were pregnant. (laughs) No, none of these women ever get pregnant. More than likely the lack of food and constant beatings have caused them to skip a period because they're traumatized and also yes. On like losing weight. And it's pretty common that when you start losing large quantities of weight, Your cycle goes haywire until I can figure out what's going on. But regardless, he celebrates. He brings some Chinese food and champagne. Now, a couple days before this though, the 18th, the happy day. Okay. He makes an appearance in court because he has not been paying Betty. Her $135. He is, he owes thousands at this point. Um, this is one of the few times that we have like a record of him talking in court. And what do you think Mm. Gary shows up as? I don't know. I don't know. The smuggest of smug asshole. He's at the family court division of common police Mm -hmm. court before judge Stephen Elvin jr. And from the jump, he is playing games. The judge is like, listen, I got your disability stuff here. I got your, uh, your reports. And he's just like, I don't have any money. What are you talking about? And like, he's like, I've been on disability for 20 years. I only have about $2,000 in my bank account. And here's the thing. Betty knew about the business account for the church. And she also knew about the fact that he was getting VA payments because she was on his social security. So uh, he's like, what about the $28,000 you have in Merle Lynch? And like, I don't know if Gary just felt like he was on top of the world, but he did admit that he got an additional 1300 from the VA. Um, and then Gary just randomly talks about how I have he has mental problems. He's been out of the hospital and he's just like, listen, all that money that Betty's talking about, I spent it. I bought her a car. I put a down payment on my house. He told the judge that he had dropped about $200,000 of the church money into a stock that was called Crazy Eddie, um, which he ended up losing. Now, this happens in January, and the judge is like, all right, um, listen, you need to pay, but also I would like you to submit to some psychological testing um, since you say you're having problems. So they schedule those tests for March. And Gary definitely thinks he's smarter than those tests. But eventually when he takes them, they would be rather illuminating. But the problem is by the time he takes them, two of the women in his care already die. So after the court case, things don't get better. Gary is having trouble controlling five adult women in this basement. Sandra is miserable. She goes on like a hu- almost like a hunger strike. Um, she refuses to eat, and Gary's like, "You're pregnant. You have to eat." So he tries to like force feed her to the point where he like shoves food in her mouth and then holds his hand over her mouth. He tried to punish her in ways that didn't right. like hurt her because you know, baby. Um, at some point, she has a fever. She's vomiting, but Gary is forcing her to eat. Um, at some point josephina realizes that something is wrong because even though sandra is hanging from the hook in the middle of the room she's like slumped down and not moving and actually the other women are like hey hey wake up if he comes down and sees you like he's gonna yell at you um gary comes down he tells sandra to stand up she does but when he leaves she collapses again Um, when he comes down a second time he uncuffs her and she just kind of falls to the floor and like a lump Um, he kicks her into the hole in the floor and covers it up and says she's faking it then he grabs three bowls of ice cream from the freezer gives one to josephina one to lisa and one for himself which he takes upstairs and um, when he comes back down to check on sandra she still hasn't moved He pulls her out of the hole and tries to find a pulse, but she is dead. Um, He looks at her for a moment and then tells the other girls, I think she choked on a piece of bread. Sandra dead is a big problem. Not only has he lost the woman who's going to give him a baby, but he doesn't know what to do with her body. Um, He's like, if I dump her somewhere, she'll get traced back to me. Um, Sandra's cousins and her sister are still showing up at the house months later. So he decides that he's got to destroy her corpse. And which he picks her up and takes her upstairs and Josephina said that she heard oh. what oh, sounds okay. like a power song. And um, one of Gary's dogs named Bear would sometimes like take mm-hmm. his food down in the basement and just kind of sit with them. And they realized what happened when Bear brought down a bone which that, that was fair. very long. It was a very, very long bone with chunks of meat on it into the basement. Um, investigators were never able to find the blood on the electric saw, but they think that's because he got rid of it. A few days after Sandra died, Gary bought a food processor um, and mixed processed meat. His meat oh that my he God. made in the no, food processor he, no he with the dog food that he he, no, he, he gave it to the dogs and to the women and the things that he could not grind up like her head hands feet and rib cage he tried to destroy in other ways uh, he tried to burn he tried to like kind of burn in the oven in the <laughs> oven. <laughs> uh, Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And apparently it was such a horrible oh stench that the entire neighborhood called the police. Police officer shows up at Gary's house and he's just like, oh, I I put a roast in the oven and I fell asleep and the whole thing burned to a big black husk. And the police officer's uh... like, okay. And he leaves. Uh, Josefina said in her, her book that the smell hung in the air for weeks and those were the first couple of days that Gary didn't come into the basement demanding sex because the smell just kind of lingered in the air and they said that when he came back a couple days later he still smelled like burning human flesh like it was in uh, his hair now after Sandra dies Gary's super paranoid and he's like "They're, they're plotting against me and he's like how about this I want you to inform me about what's going on. Be my snitch. We insert Deborah Dudley and how Gary said she was a thorn in his side. It's a time period between February 8th and March 18th that Deborah really ramps up her plan to get out. So, first off, it doesn't matter when Gary shows up or what he's doing, (laughs) Deborah screams. (laughs) Um, if he unhooks her, she starts trying to fucking run. Uh she's yelling out at the windows, which have duct tape and potato sacks on them. Um after Sandra dies, Deborah tries to stage a coup and convinces the other women what's gonna happen and she's gonna break off a pipe on the wall, and then she's gonna hit Gary with the pipe, and when he falls down, she needs the other women to just start yeah. stabbing him with whatever they can find. Now, Lisa would later say that Josefina tipped Gary off, but Josefina said that Gary overheard them talking about it. I, I kind of believe Lisa in this one because Gary responded by hooking Deborah, Lisa, and Jacqueline up in the center of the room. Not Josefina. He stuffed plastic bags in their mouths as a gag and put duct tape around their heads, he looped one of their arms around their throats mm-hmm. kind of like when you pat yourself on the back and then um then he tried to stab their ears with screwdrivers to deafen them mm-hmm. Josefina was exempt from this punishment The other girls were obviously miserable but it's like Deborah didn't care she still kept she she just decided she was going to make her time with Gary as awful as possible. And like I said, I really identify with what I've read about Deborah Dudley. Cause I feel like if I'm in a situation where I think I'm gonna die, yep, what's it fight. what's it gonna <laughs> what, you're gonna kill me anyway. Let's fight.
1: Uh, I love it. Yes.
0: One day so one day Gary takes uh Deborah upstairs cuffed and then he brings her back down a couple minutes later. And the other girls are like, what happened? And he's just like she took. He took me in the kitchen and he showed me Sandra's head inside of a pot in the freezer along with her other body parts. And he told me if I didn't start acting right, he's going to do the same thing to me. Um, <laughs> diaper calms down. Like, pocket. And then she's like, I eh, no. <laughs> yep. So Gary decides that what he's going to do is electrically shock <sighs> her to get her to submit. So what he does is he takes an extension cord. He cuts off one end and strips off the insulation, leaving bare wires on one side and plugs the other directly into a socket. And then when he touches the bare end to the women's chains, Mm -hmm. they scream. Um, On Wednesday, March 18th, 1987, he decided he was going to up the ante. Uh, Josephina had earned his full support. He's like, whatever, you're my girl now. He made the rest of them stand in a hole. He had Josephina fill it up with mm-hmm. water using a hole, uh, like a hose in the basement. Um, and he shocks. He hits. He hits the chain while they are in the water. Um, the chain that he hits is Deborah's, and it it gives her the worst of the jolt. But they all get hurt, and she actually says, "He's killing me." And after that, she went limp and fell into the muddy water. Lisa's like, uh, Gary, Deborah's dead. And he tries to lift up her body, like, toward him. And Gary's like, no, no, she's no, she's not dead. And, like, Lisa's kind of like, she's laying face down in mud. It's, she's dead. So he has all the other women get out of the pool and mm-hmm. make sure that they don't try and, like, get away. Uh, but Lisa says she actually blacks out, and she wakes up on the basement floor, cuffs removed, and Gary's making dog food sandwiches, uh. and Deborah's dead body is on the ground near her. And what's wild is that he's, like, super calm, and he's like, wow, aren't oh, you guys glad that didn't yeah, happen but to you? Yeah, we also
1: didn't want it to happen to her either.
0: Well, then he goes upstairs, gets a piece of paper, and he makes Josefina write... I, Nicole Rivera, and Gary Heidnick killed Debbie Johnson by applying electricity to her chain while sitting in a pool of water in a hole in a basement on 3520 Marshall Street. And he made Josephina sign it and he made the other two sign it as witnesses. And he like he pretty much says to Josephina, Well, I have this letter, so if you go to That's the cops, not how that works. That's you not not killed how her. this works. No. He unlocks Josephina's shackles and tells her to go upstairs. Uh, and put on clean clothes this is the first time in four months that josephina has ever been out of her chains and the first time she's even been allowed to wear pants she earns the ability to walk around the house on her own the following morning um they wrapped deborah's body in plastic carried her to the freezer moved a bunch of food and ice cream and stuff and put her inside Moved the food on top of her and closed the lid Um, Gary wasn't worried about Deborah because he didn't have any connections to her. Then he went upstairs to get Josefina and he took her to have dinner. There's a lot of controversy about the next five days. A lot of people, including Lisa, believed that Josefina should have Mm -hmm. made a run for it the second he let her upstairs. But Josefina has pretty much stayed true to the fact that she was worried that if she ran, he was gonna kill the other girls. And so she wanted it to be, she wanted to find a way to make sure he couldn't go back and hurt them. And the thing is, he did tell her right. if you if you run away, I'm gonna just kill the other ones. Um she he starts taking her on like all of his little errands and he confides in her. Very similar to what Charles Manson said, Gary goes, if we ever get caught, I'm going to act crazy. I'm going to go into court and I'm just going to salute everybody. And he actually told Josephina that he knew the answers to the mental health questionnaires so he could beat them. And he told her this because he said, this is how I've stayed on social security for so long. On March 22nd, Gary um, tells Josephina it's time to take care of Deborah's body and they take her out of the freezer and put her in a blanket um put her in the trunk of the dodge dart because it wasn't as conspicuous or ostentatious as the cadillac they drive to the pine barrens which is across the river in new jersey and jump her in a grove of trees the following night march 23rd they take a trip in the cadillac to find a new girl gary spots a woman he knows 24 year old agnes adams Agnes was a working girl who went by the name Vicky on the street and Josephina knew her because they had both worked at a strip club together in the past. Gary had met up with Agnes in January and February. And now March, he was like, I'm going to take her back at the house. Gary gives Josephina the key and tells her to lock up as he takes Agnes upstairs to do his normal routine. When he's done, he attaches Agnes with the other woman in the basement. And he's like, that was easy. We should do that again tomorrow. But Josefina has other plans. All day, the following day, she bothers Gary about visiting her family. My kids haven't seen me in four months. Let me go visit my family. I bet they're at my mom's house. And so finally, he's like, fine. Here's what I want you to do. He's like, I want you to go visit your mom. With, visit the kids. Then I want you to go find another one of your friends. Meet me at the gas station on 6th and Gerard. As soon as the Cadillac pulls away, Josephina takes off running she goes to her boyfriend's house Vincent Vincent Nelson opens the door and he's like where have you been he thought she ghosted him but she's banging on the door screaming about how she's been kidnapped and this man made her eat human people Vincent's like she's on drugs but whatever mm-hmm. I'll go with you to the gas station to, to prove it halfway there he's like if this is real let's call the police so they stop at a payphone. phone Josephine recounts the story again The cops are, like, doubtful, but two show up. Officer David Savage and John Cannon show up. They decide, like, you know what? Let's go talk to this guy and see what's up. As soon as Gary sees the cop, he's like, oh, did Betty send you? And the officers are like, no. And so they're like, how about this? Um, There's been some reports about you, and we're just going to take you in for questioning. And they cuff him and take him to major crimes, um, the sex crimes unit. So we got Josephina and Gary, both at the sex crimes unit, talking to the police. I will spare you the details. Gary refuses to respond for hours, and he keeps saying that this must become, it's because Betty wants more money. Josephina, however, is giving them a full play-by-play of everything that happens. So Savage makes a call to the units in the district. They're like, go to the house, just check it out. But they don't tell, he doesn't tell them why. The first cops show up at like 4.30 and they're just like, nothing's going on. It's empty. And Savage is like, just wait, just wait for it. He gets done with Josefina and ends up getting a warrant and shows up at about 5, 5.30. He's like, there's potentially multiple victims in this house um, along with tenants. This guy kidnapped a woman and there's other women in here. So they have all the keys that Gary had on him, but none of them are working. So after a little bit, uh, Savage just takes out a crowbar and it's just wailing on this door and one of gary's tenants opens the door and is like is this a raid (laughs) because i mean it is the hood so like they're like i mean are we being raided by the cops right now (laughs) um and so um savage and some others rush to the basement other men rush to the kitchen and they find lisa jacqueline and agnes Uh, They actually pull Agnes out of the hole in the ground and she's in total shock because she's been left in there for most of the day. Um, Agnes, when she kind of like (laughs) realizes what's going on, she's like, yo, he stole my money. Make sure he gives me back my money for, for working. And Lisa's like, no, 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 wait, we're free. Um, There's a small delay in releasing them because he had a different key for every different thing. He had them connected to. Uh, so it's just trial and error as they're trying to un- unchain them. They get the women out, send them to the hospital. Uh, other cops call Savage in because they're like, um, we found some stuff. And so in the oven, Great. still, still, because this has been weeks, They f- they find a completely blackened bit of chest and ribs burned in the oven and in the freezer frozen body parts that are wrapped in bags they definitely clock the food processor immediately they're like yeah yeah take that with you the evidence within 24 hours the media is on fire a local tabloid paper the philadelphia daily news has a police insider and so in their first edition in the morning they run with like a tiny story on page three and as more stuff like comes from the police front page story at noon and then at the end of the day, report, front page news, Gary's old arrest photo. They're like, murder in North Philly, bondage, torture, rich preacher, bishop, cannibal, rapist, kidnapper. I have to admit, some of the headlines were hilarious. My favorite one, because there were so many, but I can't say them all, um, called Gary the Rolls Royce Reverend into stocks and bondage because you know we can't we can't well, miss of a moment course not. A always pun in the face in of everything. horror um, so while that's happening the women are all telling this tale and in all of them are talking gary is like they were already there when i moved in <laughs> so Gary decides to try and hire the best lawyer in town. The police begin ripping his home apart. They dig up the front yard, the backyard. They find a host of garbage, but also saws, bloodstained clothes, and more bones. Uh, and a pot listed in the evidence as Tan Crusty Residue Around the Rim. They end up talking to Tony Brown, his former roommate and church driver, and Tony ends up getting himself arrested because he let the police know that he was there when sandra was not when she was killed but gary brought her upstairs and when he realized that he was gonna like cut her up tony was like i laughed so originally they arrest him for being a part of the murder and they later downgrade it um the issue is that tony's iq is 75 Uh, which is a few points above the legal level of being seen as mentally handicapped. And they're like, listen, rather than use like put him in through court, we're just going to ask him for information about Gary. Um, and we'll just have him potentially, uh, be charged with being an accomplice. Gary is indicted very quickly, uh, put in the Philadelphia detention center where within hours he is attacked and another inmate breaks his nose they have to move him into a location where he's in isolation for 22 hours. And when he goes to take a shower, he tries to hang himself. The district attorney, Ronald Castile, is like, how are we going <laughs> to keep this al- guy alive for another year? Right, right. Because Castile wants that death penalty. Now, Gary reaches out to this hotshot attorney, Charles Peruto Jr. Peruto was the son of another well-known defense attorney who was known for taking like really high-profile clients and doing a pretty good job at it. Charles meets Gary once and is like, okay, for our defense, you're absolutely insane. And I think he believed it because he sat with Gary for two hours and Gary detailed everything he did. And at one point, finally, Peruto couldn't stop himself and just is like, Gary, what kind of seasoning did you use on Sandra? And Gary looks at him and is just like, man, you're crazy. Uh, Peruto charges him $100,000 which is 10 times his normal rate mm-hmm. because he's like this is gonna be a challenge. The challenge being that even though this crime looked like something as seriously mentally a person would do nothing else in Gary's life lended itself to insanity. He was buying cars, trading stocks, preaching, going to court, being a jerk, visits to the VA hospital for group therapy meeting women for sex both casually and professionally Betty even said that he seems normal to her in their dealings financially. Um, so Peruto decides, listen, if we can't prove that he's insane, what we can try and prove is that Lin- Sandra Lindsay and Deborah Dudley were accidental deaths because the DA had requested the death penalty and in Pennsylvania, you can't get the death penalty unless you have been charged with first degree murder. So if Peruto could get second degree or anything else, he could at least save Gary's life. Um, for his part in this, D.A. Castile was just like, this is going to be a fight and he was going to do it himself, but he decided on Charles Gallagher III to lead the prosecution team. Um, they pretty much knew from the jump that this was going to be a fight between <laughs> the Commonwealth psyche- psychiatrists and Peruto's psychiatrists um gallagher was a good choice because gallagher was the one they called in the middle of the night to get the warrant and he was the guy who hopped out of bed at three in the morning to get a judge in chambers to get a warrant gallagher was actually quoted as saying the death penalty may not be deterrent to a crime but it sure <laughs> would deter gary Heidnick first preliminary hearing is april 23rd 1987 for people who aren't big on the u.s justice system a preliminary hearing is where both sides show up Mm -hmm. and argue if there is probable cause i.e a reason that this case should go to trial normally you don't want to show your whole hand but gallagher decided that that day he was going to have everyone talk that was all four captives who were still alive sandra's sister multiple medical examiners each one told their part in the story and they had all been properly coached on how to be a good witness and not like he told them what to say but um unlike the movies tears and hysterics don't don't go over well in court what does go over well is you can explain yourself clearly succinctly and Mm -hmm. without any like emotion So Lisa was the first one. She got up there and she was like, boom, boom, boom. This is what happened. Josephina shows up and she has even more information to talk about. Um, There was only one small contradiction, which was that Lisa said that Josefina laughed when she had to hit them. But Jacqueline said that Josefina only did it when Gary ordered her and said he would hurt her if she didn't hurt them. All of them told the court, He told us he wanted a baby factory. The doctors confirmed that Deborah died from electric shock, just like the women said, and that Sandra died from starvation and dehydration. Um, The reason why Gallagher showed his whole hand is that every single newspaper in Pennsylvania was talking about that preliminary hearing. There was barely anybody who didn't know about what was going on. Um, On top of the criminal case, all four living victims file a civil suit against Gary when they (laughs) learn that he has half a million dollars. (laughs) <laughs> Gary's like, the money doesn't belong to me. It belongs to my church. So they freeze the church's assets and they uh, set up a conservator. But before they can set up the conservator, Gary files Chapter 11 bankruptcy, listing three of his victims and the estates of Sandra and Deborah as his creditors, saying that they were seeking millions that he would never have. And he also cited the city of Philadelphia. As a creditor because he owed them $6,800 in back. He owed Betty $6,800 in back. um, So are you going
1: to pay that then now or no?
0: Well, so essentially him saying he's saying that the reason why he's going to be bankrupt is because there's no way he can pay the civil suits. The judge, uh, Judge Lear of the Common Pleas Court is pissed. And he has the conservator seize the church assets along with all of Gary's local accounts and all of his cars. He also publicly declares that the church is because Gary wants to avoid taxes. And he says, I find that it is in public interest that such an entity be found for what it is. The mere thought that this is a church is offensive and an insult to all persons in the community. Further, it is also offensive and an insult to the sensibilities of the victims and their families that such crimes would be perpetrated in the name and the guise of something called a church. Um, Ultimately, a U.S. district judge, David Scholl, has a hearing and is like, I'm going to take over this. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, Judge Lear, but you're getting a little emotional. Uh, and so he sets up a trustee for Gary to handle his finances and also the church. With the church money gone, um, Peruto is not going to get his fee, uh, but he doesn't bail on Gary. He just takes his normal $60 an hour fee. Uh, on May 14th, Gary makes an appearance at the common pleas court uh, called a status hearing, which is a apparently not every state does this, but essentially it's in front of the judge and it's between the defense and the prosecution. And they kind of discuss, this is kind of like the last time of like, are we going to go to trial? Or are we not going to go to trial? Uh, what evidence can we bring to trial? Are there any other filings that need to happen? Like there's a time period. You can't just like make random declarations in court. So this is your moment. Mm. If you want to make a, like a, a specific filing to let me know. And so the thing that, Uh, Peruto wanted was essentially he was just like listen um, I don't think we'll be able to get an impartial jury because everybody knows about this in Philly and the judge is like you know what Um, let me think on that I'll get back to you Uh, he also uh, wanted to talk to Gary and Mm -hmm. Gary's like I'm not testifying at all And he's just like, no, I understand, you know, I just want to make sure that you know where you are and what's going on. And uh, pretty much Gary answered every question, yes, sir, uh, and submitted a plea for not guilty. April 4th, 1988, it's almost been a year, they assign Lynn Abram to be the judge. The jury selection begins on May 16th. Gary walks into the courtroom looking like a friggin' vampire. He is super thin, super pale, even more disheveled like his hair is a mess his beards huge this is all on purpose so that the jury might be sympathetic okay. when they saw him during jury selection he purposefully like he literally his lawyer said he's got that Charles <clears throat> Manson look about him which I don't know if that's a good idea because Charles Manson also went to jail right. so um, but uh, so the ju- like so like listen um, Peruta tried his best he was like I want you to when you walk shuffle never take a regular step um, and dress weird for court every day at one point he was, was wearing like Hawaiian shirts and he wasn't bat- bathing um, jury selection in Philadelphia ended up being a huge wash There was it was unbiased and the judge ended up uh, agreeing um, to uh, moving to try and find juries in another county. They yes. went to Allegheny County, which you know is pretty far out of there. Um, that happened on June 13th, and uh, it was still a big problem. Like, they, because the thing is, um, they brought in, um, they filled the entire courtroom with jurors, like 70-some people, to talk to them. And outside of the courtroom, there were cameras and like reporters and stuff like trying to figure out who is on the jury and the judge ends up like freaking out on them and he's like leave these people alone takes two days the jury is entirely white uh which the judge is not happy about because all of gary's victims were black women yeah
1: that's um yeah that's no (laughs) okay
0: So I have two different quotes, which I think are absolutely wonderful, and they're from the trial. Peruto said, any person who puts dog food and human remains in a food processor and calls it a gourmet meal and feeds it to others is out to lunch. And uh, Gallagher said, just because someone does bizarre acts, the law doesn't recognize them as insane. And that should tell you where we're starting this uh, situation. Uh, The trial begins on June 20th and is surprisingly short. Uh, peruso peruto tries his hardest to prove that gary is legally insane gallagher rebuts everything all the victims testify again peruto actually tries very hard to discredit josephina in particular and it it causes an issue um at one point he is just like hey did you read a lot of the press that came out about this and Josephina is (laughs) just like i was there i don't need to read a newspaper um he because lisa's still mad about the whole situation so he takes that to his advantage and he tries to really hammer down that like Josephine is a monster and and gary was feeding the the beast inside of her and that gets struck down um from the record because in uh gallagher's statement are we prosecuting right uh rivera how- or hyacin Hi, Nick. I said, hi. The prosecution goes through all of their major witnesses in just two days, which is honestly unheard of in a case like this. And Gallagher closed the case on the third day. Um, Prosecution painstakingly forces a psychiatrist to go through all of Gary's hospitalization records for hours which I know what he was trying to do, but it's actually a really bad idea because juries check out when you mm-hmm. just come at them with a lot of jargon. Like pe- regular people don't understand certain terminology and because it's, it's a, part of a specialized field. <laughs> and so I'm sure they were bored out of their mind. Um, Peruto put... As, like oh my goodness peruto brought in all of his psychiatrists and he tried his hardest to prove like he had the one guy going over all the consistencies in gary's record because there were things that were forgotten over the years because they happened in like the 50s um and 60s and whatnot ultimately the trial ends on june 29th the jury deliberates until july 1st comes back with two counts of first degree murder six counts of kidnapping five counts of rape four counts of aggravated assault two counts of involuntary deviant sexual intercourse and he is sentenced to death and placed in the state correctional institute at pittsburgh um we don't hear a lot about gary Uh, until 1989 when he tries to od in january on thorazine uh his time on death row was pretty quiet um In 1997, his daughter, Maxine Davidson White, uh, and Jeanette is her mom, and Betty uh, file a lawsuit asking for a stay of execution because they say that he is not competent to be killed. Um, That actually takes two years until July 3rd, 1999, when the U.S. District Court issues a final ruling. Uh, There will be no appeal. There will be no retrial. We're done and uh, gary is executed three days later july 6 1999 at the state correctional institution uh, which is called rockview in belafonte pa he was cremated and he is actually the last person who has ever been executed wow. in the state of pennsylvania yep post the trial uh <laughs> michael Heidnick was like don't talk to me about him uh Tony Brown doesn't go to prison. All charges get dropped at the request of the DA's office. Um, As for his victims, Josefina wrote a book about her struggle. Um, She was eventually able to full quit drugs and prostitution after about a year. Um, She had to actually go get her kids back because they had been put in foster care and then adopted out while she was missing. Um, she was able to get her kids back, focus on creating a better life for herself. She currently lives in New Jersey with her husband. She was in a documentary about this case last year on oxygen. And she says that she still goes to counseling, still has panic attacks, but they're not as bad. Handcuffs and chains are a major trigger for her. But um, she finds joy in walking on the beach in mm-hmm. Atlantic City and collecting sea glass. Um, she she said, for a long time, I was haunted by Nick by the women who died next to me but not any longer i hope i can inspire other victims to feel positive about the future um jacqueline still lives in philly and she works as a house cleaner she has two adult sons who she's very close with she says she also has anxiety and trauma and is medicated um she has pretty serious flashbacks still even 30 years later and can't go into any basements um jacqueline and and, uh and Josephine finally met on the show, Monster Preacher, and uh, Josephina was able to explain herself, and Jacqueline forgave her for That's leaving good. them there for those five days. Um, Lisa and Ag- yeah, Lisa and Agnes were not on the show, um, and have not made themselves available to the press for further comments. Both Lisa and Agnes have suffered greatly emotionally. Um, I guess I just decided I wanted to it's very interesting similar to charles manson uh gary heidnik was another man who should have never been released from an institution it's wild right like um but unfortunately for us in the states both the prison system and the hospital system are based on making yeah. money not on helping people Pushing and out, i think man, that's an important out, thing man. to think about yep yeah. and i think that has its problems that's no, all for no. me. Sorry that ended up being a little longer than I intended.
1: <sighs> Alrighty. Well, it's funny that you talk about somebody in Pennsylvania today, Brittany. It's a Pennsylvania day. Like it's you a did, Pennsylvania you, yeah, your day. first story, your Pennsylvania, second story of Pennsylvania. Guess what? We're talking about Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. But, yeah, like, I I love talking about stories from all over the place, but I love telling, like, local stories even more. Uh, Because we live in an area where there are, like, so many spooky things going on. Like, so many, like, Southern PA, full of fucking ghosts. Maybe cryptids, but definitely ghosts. Um, Yes. All right, here's a story from over this weekend, okay? So, I took a trip to to York, PA, Um my parents—they opened up a, a little restaurant in one of the the farmers markets down there, and but that's not the that's not the important part, okay? But um, what's the okay. important part is that across the street from where they where this market's at, there is a used bookstore, and it's called the York Emporium. Mm-hmm. I have to give them a shout out because that place is amazing. Oh. Um, <laughs> and i I had parked i I parked right by there so you know while we're leaving from my parents place um you know it's me tara and jaden we're getting back in the car and i see this the bookstore i'm like um can i please go into the bookstore real quick
0: (laughs) right i would do the (laughs) same thing
1: guys and everything i'm like please you know i I really love (laughs) used bookstores okay it's just it's a thing um i can't help it So I spent way too much time in there by myself. She let me go by myself. Her mistake. Um, and it's bigger on the inside than I thought. I found a bunch of great books, and of course, you know, while I'm in the bookstore, I'm looking. I'm obviously looking for creepy things to to read about. And I mean, I I I found Mm -hmm. I found like four books which are really nice i'll probably use those in my sources as well but i found another book and it's a Mm -hmm. book called spooky york pennsylvania i of course had to buy it along Mm -hmm. with the other handful of books i picked out and this is what i'm using as my source for this week uh so today i'll bring you a tale about a highway our highway, actually, it's, you know, the highway, mm-hmm. main highway. You know, not the main highway, but it's it's a highway that everybody uses, um, that has used once in a while. It's um, Route 30, the Lincoln Highway.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, awesome.
0: Yeah, I used to take it to get to now, school. Now, Brittany,
1: I'm not sure if to you college. know this or not, but Lincoln Highway, it stretches all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast, like, all the way across America.
0: I just knew that it was um, like a less crowded way that we would take to get <laughs> from Harrisburg to Westchester because the other route was, I you mean, know, yeah, also right. tolls and all that other bullshit. Yo, oh my goodness. Oh, my roommate and I were looking at like a, a place and inadvertently the stupid app mm-hmm. showed us a place that was hours away and google was like 27 dollars in Ugh. tolls and i'm like are you out <laughs> of your mind i haven't been on a toll road yeah. in a very long Imagine time but wow it's
1: even worse it's even worse
0: oh i i didn't realize they had gotten that bad but i'm like you know what i inflation <sighs> But yeah, okay. So thirty tr- yep. stretches across the entire country, which makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even odd numbers um, for highways.
1: So in eastern York County, this road that became the Lincoln Highway was called a uh, Mono Mono Casey Road, or the York Wrightsville Turnpike, um, and it followed an old Indian trail known as the Mono Trail. That connected to the Susquehanna River with uh, okay. Frederick, Maryland, and the Santa the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. So it stress it went like it went different directions. Um, I'm yeah, I'm history lesson real quick. Sorry before the spooky stuff. Um, so in the 18th century, the, the Monocacy Road it was a heavily traveled uh, thoroughfare. Like between the settled lands um, in eastern Pennsylvania and the American frontier west of York. Um, today, even um, researchers far and wide use the library <laughs> the library in the archives of York County Heritage Trust because York was a gateway to hell. But no, not really. It was a gateway <laughs> to the west in the early days of america um you you remember when every when all the when the constitution when the continental congress they all fled to you know philadelphia in 1777 you know british was attacking and you know it, it became like mm-hmm. the capital for like a day and then everybody ran away and they went somewhere else um <laughs> um this is where they this is where they they crossed the Susquehanna river on you know wrights ferry and then you know they traveled the mama casey road and they apparently york became a temporary capital too at that time when he got there so like basically everywhere in pennsylvania was like a temporary capital on its way here um Blah 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 blah. Monte Casey Road. It hosted about 1,800 Georgians. Uh, they marching. They marched from York to Wrightsville in an attempt to capture the mile-long bridge spanning the Tuscarora River. Now, the mile-long ri- bridge. That's not. a... Where's that at? I don't know where that's at. I have to Google that. The the mile-long bridge. Spell so, it. I don't know okay in Pensil- it,
0: in Pennsylvania it says or in
1: my, marching from York to Wrightsville, so'
0: Cause Shemokin Dam, the northern section of the central Susquehanna Valley through way, which includes a mile long bridge across mm. the west branch of the Susquehanna River
1: there's a no that's the new one okay, that's so coming more than one then.
0: <laughs> okay, so this is not the old one. This is the new bridge, because um, when I searched Mile Long Bridge before, oh wait, wait, the mile, wait, wait. Mile so. Long Bridge York Blog. It's like e... built in like the eighteen nineties. Okay, yeah, um, it is part of the Susquehanna River though, but this one says it spans mm. Wrightsville, like linking Wrightsville. Oh, Columbia. oh,
1: I, I know where that's at.
0: Um, and that it was built—it's a big I'm deal because like, they I built never been it across this fucking bridge. bridge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god!
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you, like you no, I used to. Well, we used to do jobs, that a lot so. when I was
1: a kid. Just driving from York to to Lancaster, we well, go over I, this bridge.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize. I mean, cause the yeah, I didn't know what the was bridge was called. Harrisburg I just knew it was a bridge from that.
1: Columbia to Wrightsville. Well, I, I rode the bike over that bridge. But anyway. <laughs> Aw.
0: Wait, right. Columbia it's is not, about, that no, not that far away far. from Lancaster. No. Um,
1: okay, okay. Okay, okay. Oh, I'm All still right, going Come on, tell so me lesson, spook. Still going to, I Like it's just this, the road. <laughs>
0: when it's coming up. When part happen?
1: Okay, okay, okay. It's um, late at
0: night. I wanna be spooky. There's
1: there's another part about the you know, the battle in Gettysburg took place like on this look.
0: Oh, I mean, well, Gettysburg is like mad uh, one haunted. day
1: I'll find like, a time to sit down and just write about Gettysburg for a minute. <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't even wanna go, it's that
1: bad. Uh, okay.
0: Like, you know, it would like I feel like Gettysburg mm. and New Orleans are like psh, right yeah. on top of each yeah. other with just ghosts everywhere.
1: <sighs> okay. So on the Monocacy Road, there is I don't know mm-hmm. if it's still there, but there's a brick house that was built around eighteen forty. Um it was built okay. as a servants' quarter and a you know a workers' house. Um. Oh, it does. It does still stand today, it, it actually. And how? How? Um, <laughs> going into some stories about that. Um, it's east of Halem, PA. It's right. It's right outside of York, so it's not that far. Um, and and the year of two thousand and one, a young, yeah, a young family moves into this home um previous owners were just you know this old couple spent They spent most of their lives in this house um this when you know this old couple uh, this newer couple comes in this house is basically just ramshack it's this it's disarray old furniture everything everywhere they like they basically left this house how <laughs> how they had it before they i don't know before they left or whatever whatever happened um they, yep they left all their, so their furniture they their clothes the left the trash behind everything um of course this family didn't have to move in you know right then and there because of all this shit they had to clean out um now in this cleaning process they find several odd things uh including what appears to be a witch's gown and a book of spells um they were both like hidden away and like they like. They...
0: Brian you know I'm gonna ask you what they look like I right? don't
1: have any pictures of what they look like
0: yeah it's but giving it's you giving you a me, vibe Oh no, me a vibe it's, it's giving me a vibe. Certain certain group of people <laughs> stay getting involved mm. in things they should not be involved in, and I'm just gonna put this out there, y'all. If you find things that seem like they might be a little witchy, I wouldn't even leave, move into, into the house. Leave, to be honest with found you. Them, a, a, a spe- well, you could have it evaluated because some- the problem is you don't know whether they're this trying to true. keep something out or bring something in. Um, and like, so people just straight up find hex bags on their land and are like, what's wrong with this? And I'm like, I don't know. Somebody was trying to kill somebody with that. Just saying. Just don't touch it. Even if they didn't do it right. Yeah, even if they didn't do a good job, but yeah. like, still the intent yeah. was there. Oh.
1: But either way, um, they, they you know they they, they found it strange, um, but after a while they they just you know filled the dumpster up that was there and they just moved in. I hmm,
0: did they keep the that. witchy stuff?
1: So you know how when you move into a house, you know it has some settling to do houses always settle sometimes yeah even even sometimes and, um, this house was over mm-hmm. 160 years old and apparently it still had some settling to do uh, because there were some weird noises going on yeah a few days after they moved in the mm-hmm. the mother she was speaking i guess she was talking to her son about something and she asked him what he thought about you know the new house and he says um i like it but i wish the soldier would stop visiting me at night and you know you no know, parents they're just like oh <laughs> that's so funny and weird of you to say you yeah, know the, dar- the darnest thing kids say right um but he, he kept mentioning it mm-hmm. he kept mentioning the soldier that kept coming to visit him um and, you know, during the day, kids go off to school. Um, the husband's at work. I guess she has a stay-at-home mom. Um, and... Or she worked out of the house, one of those two. <laughs> she's alone all by oh, herself no, at the house. she's alone. Um, and she she started oh, to, like to notice that she wasn't really alone in the house. Because she, she would feel like a presence there. Um, but she didn't she didn't see anything specifically. She just like kept gl- uh, catching glimpses and stuff. And what was this? Oh it's two thousand and one. So mm-hmm. yeah, she was definitely not a stay-at-home mom. She well maybe, I don't know. But she she I I know, I know, I know. That's why People I don't, do I, don't, that. I don't know about the, know. their their financial situation and whatnot. She was working out of the house. <laughs> 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 but she she kept catching uh glimpses of something in like in reflections of stuff of her like computers sc- of her computer screen and and stuff like that Ooh.
0: um <laughs> oh man i'd be so upset don't just follow my computer fam that's why that, i have my, one that doesn't have the glare plays. on
1: it it's, it's like it it's just plain computer screen you don't get it's not like a mirror no nothing like that no glass <laughs>
0: No, I don't. No mirrors. Yes. You know, I don't believe in mirrors in my place. Yes, there's reasons for that. Uh-uh.
1: So, like, she didn't see anything. She didn't hear anything. But it was like she still felt like something was watching her. Um, even when she was working on her computer.
0: <laughs> I always feel that? Like. like, she
1: wasn't the only one who felt it. Like, the husband felt it too. Um. But he felt it outside the house instead of inside the house okay. was really weird. Like he said that he'd like be mowing the the yard mm. or you know, mowing the ground, you know, just, just mowing the yard, working like trimming hedges. You know what I mean.
0: <laughs> yeah, mowing the ground, yeah. bro. <laughs> and, That's okay. But no, I mean that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, something's watching was him watching from,
1: from like he know? was outside, but something was inside watching him. Outside. Um. Yeah, and you know, of course, you turn sense. over, you turn to see who the hell's watching you, and nobody's there. Um. Yes.
0: Here's the question: Is it worse if nobody's there, or is you know like I, I think it's bad if it's somebody's bad there. if somebody's there?
1: I, I'd piss right? my like pants if thinking somebody was so there. Okay. To be honest with you.
0: I think I think if you were outside like mowing on the Lawn mm. and you looked inside and you saw like a man inside oh, yeah. I think you would run directly in. I think your desire to Oh yeah, make absolutely. Sure your absolutely. If, okay, I mean if I was there by myself, it
1: would be a different story. Like who the fuck are you? Why are you in my house? Um
0: like i'm just gonna wait here while whoever yeah. is trying to rob me gets <laughs> done with what he's doing uh, but yeah, <laughs> you're by I yourself mean, I, if
1: i look up in in the windows and, and i would just imagine my kids just being like up there staring down at me like, trying to come the hell out uh but yeah if it's like a a an adult that i don't recognize in my house i'm like uh, yeah
0: yeah um, that'd be frightening <laughs> yeah, maybe it's that person who doesn't like terror from the thought. I forgot
1: all about that.
0: <laughs> uh, I remember yes. when you told me that your daughter no, said that. No, she hasn't. Has really, she brought it up I'm recently? Getting
1: creepy recently. Maybe she's getting older. Yeah.
0: She's getting older, and uh, she's uh, not maybe one day it she'll
1: anymore. get like a little hint of of the the shunning. Yes, the <laughs> sight.
0: The sights. Uh, oh
1: my goodness. So, okay. One day family oh, right. they buy they buy a dog, they bring a dog home. Um,
0: is <laughs> the dog gonna die, Brian? Okay. God so, damn it. Okay, the
1: dog doesn't again? die again. It's just it starts.
0: <laughs> you said that before and then immediately afterward you told me the dog died. <laughs> I'll pain. never let you forget that. It was like one of the early episodes, I was like, "Oh no, the dog!" And you were like, "No, no, he's fine." And then you went, and he was never seen again. Like five minutes later, okay, this
1: was different. Okay, the dog doesn't die. Oh goodness. Okay, so what okay. what does happen is that you know the dog for like in the beginning, the dog's like you know the sweet, sweet goofy, you know how dogs are, cute dog. Um, uh, but uh, but a little bit mm-hmm. after, um. It starts to change, and it becomes like a whole different dog altogether. Um, yeah, uh, oh. they they said that the dog would sometimes appear to be possessed, like he like one at mo- one one second oh, he'd probably. be happy content, or he'd be even sleeping, and then something would come over him, and he would change. Like the dog's eyes would get foggy, milky, oh. um, and then he turned mean and. Like it, like they it didn't last long, but like just seeing this for like that short moment, like your dog like snarling and growling at you, like, his eyes milked over. It's just kind of ugh. so. Um, you know they had kids in the house, and I'm like, okay, you know what? We can't keep this crazy dog up in here anymore. So they got rid of the dog. They didn't they didn't do any bad to though. They just like, okay, you can't live here anymore, doggy. So
0: they got I believe let's just say yes,
1: okay, because we don't know what else happens to him. But um there so they had a friend, right, to come over. And this friend, she had experience with um dark forces or the supernatural and you know she came out they 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 had her come out to cleanse the house um you know just like a a, what's it called a smudging okay she did a smudging yes um with a dry sage she lifted and then you know how how they she saged the house basically um (laughs) he Mm -hmm. doesn't like the sage who else i know i know somebody else who doesn't like the sage
0: no it's not that i don't like it it's that um like uh, you run the risk of doing more harm than good if you don't know what you're doing (laughs) like in my head sometimes i i like think about like in like i watch the ghost shows and people talk about like and then we tried to smudge it and, um, I just imagine like the ghost walking behind them laughing <laughs> right. as the actual smoke doesn't <laughs> touch them because they're not doing it right. Um, because it's, it's, it's about, there's, there's the belief system right. is that there is good and bad. And so we don't necessarily need to smudge good energy. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but
1: yeah, it. she cleansed the house. She even, I guess, before they sent the dog away or maybe she, she went to wherever the dog was being kept at this time. She went and, um, cleansed the dog as well. Um, she warned Aww. the parents that the, that the cleansing process was internal too. And that they would all experience diarrhea <laughs> in the coming week. So, it's it's cleansing not only your house but also your body. So have fun with that.
0: <laughs> righty then. Um, I don't know if I agree with her.
1: Now the parents they did experience this uh, this 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 bout of you know loose bowels and stuff, um, and so did the dog for like a whole week, actually. <clears throat> And, you know, the dog was back to normal for, like, the first week. But um, after that, it it started, you know, going back to, you know, being okay for a second. And then she's turning into this monster the next second. Uh -uh. And after the third week, it was like this lady didn't come here to cleanse it at all it's like nothing nothing happened it just everything went back to normal after that um so after this they called not only did the friend come back but they called in a medium as well from out of state um okay and of course
0: do they know what kind of medium she was
1: no, she was just out of state. Medium is what it said. Okay. Um, and of course, you know the husband is skeptical, like in all horror movies. It's um, <laughs> <is> like always. <laughs> um, but you um, know he's like he got he got a call one day from work, and I guess his wife calls him, and she's asking, she's like, "Hey, can you come? Can you come home? Like cause, because the medium's in her way." And he's like, all right, all right, sure, sure, sure. Um, so he gets there before the medium comes, and she basically has her own little tiny entourage coming with her, um, which is adorable, I guess. Um, but it, like, as soon as like she got like she started walking towards the house, it it seemed like she was being knocked around already before she even walked into the house. You know what I mean? Like, she even says that there were many spirits associated with the home, and they were making contact with her. Um, there was a lot of, there, like, mainly women and children spirits, and they were afraid. Um, like, all these spirits just kept coming, coming into her. Um. I guess they, so basically what she said is that these women and children's spirits were afraid because of a war that the men were fighting in. And that's what she sensed. She sensed that there was war, there was punishment, there's a lot of bloodshed going around the area. Um, and apparently her voice would change with every spirit that came in and out of her. Um, and these, okay. like, the spirits, the, the, the women and children's spirits, they, they still believe that, you know, this war was going on, this and that there's still bad people on their way to, you know, come get them. Um, and apparently the children were in the basement. Um, and actually, just one child spirit. It says that, you know, he was told to hide in the basement. And his mom told him to, not to come out. And that, okay, so it was a little girl spirit. A little girl, not a little. Okay, so it was a little girl. And she said that her mom cut her hair so that she looked like a boy. Yeah. So, uh. um, yes. Um, yeah. That's... Mm. Um <laughs> so before the medium even walked in the house, she said that she saw two little kids staring up from her from the basement windows. Um and the medium asked asked her asked their friend, you know, the other one who does the clean who did the cleansing before. The medium asked her, like, do you see him? There that guy right there in the corner that soldier do you see him and the parents are just like what the fuck (laughs) um because it's like it just it brings them back to when their son would would go like hey i don't like i like the house but i don't like this soldier visiting me at night all the time um and the medium then comes okay. to the doggo, and she says that she sensed two, presen- two presences um, attached to the dog. And one was the soldier, and the other <clears throat> was a very dark energy. Um, so, yeah. But apparently the-, the medium says she sensed a lot of love in the house which was weird because of all the shit that was going on and all the fear i would think i would think she would sense a lot of fear instead of love yeah maybe
0: maybe love Um, from the family
1: and you know of course the 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 bloodshed and death on the property um but she said she was surprised that there was so much life in the area like the all the trees the shrubbery you know all the all the growing all the the land giving life and stuff she was she was like really surprised that you know she says it's a good it's a good sign and that lo- that love outweighed the dark history of this place and she's not nah, that's good um and she went back to the dog and she pulled you know she she got a chair And she sat by his crate and he started growling at her and, you know, his eyes started glazing over and, you know, he became, you know, very angry, you know, and, you know, barking dog, dog noises, angry dog noises coming from him. Um, And, you know, the medium, she did a ritual and she's like, darkness, please get out of this dog go back to the light basically um and as soon as she finished doing this ritual the dog collapsed in the cage it was exhausted um and then he just fell asleep after that and and, yep, and she got up. She walked out of the house. She said, this house is clean. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding about that part. All right. uh, but, yeah, no, they they did go outside and they sat in a circle around a large tree stump and held hands because, you know, that tree could have been anything. Um, And I guess this was a portal and in, 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 it invited the spirits of the women and the children to follow the light, like in I like in um what's the movie Poltergeist? They go to the light, go towards the light. Um, and after that, the ceremony was over. The entourage left, and like everything seemed to go back to normal. But but just like in Poltergeist, after the house is clean. <laughs> Everything's... It wasn't was really... It everything started again. Really? The dog started... It's like something one onto the dog again. Uh, the parents... like they, they began to fear for the kids again. It, exactly. It was okay, like, just move just, move. just move. Just go. Um, and so they took the dog to the vet, right? And... The vet goes and says, I've seen a lot of dogs in my career, um, but only a few that had reached this place. This dog is not right, and I'm going to make the decision for you. Oh, damn. I'm sorry, pretty. <laughs> Possessed yeah. doggo gets put to sleep. Look, <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: Dog always dies.
1: Look, Okay. I didn't realize he was gonna get dead, but um, he got dead. <laughs> I'm sorry at least he didn't get eaten by the mothman, okay.
0: I don't even think he got eaten by the mothman. I feel like what happened is when they like put the balloons on the doggy and fly him away, and it probably oh goodness,
1: fell. yeah. I know, um, sad. But after, you know, the dog was put down, um, you know, there was no more possessed animals, no more soldiers, no more people feeling like the eyes of someone watching you or anything like that. Um, for a little bit. Until it starts happening again. Like, yeah, like this is it. yeah, like pack
0: up and fucking. <laughs> but it, it, it didn't
1: happen cow? as much, um, and like they, at least the family says that they, they don't feel any um negative energy or they don't feel scared or anything like that, but like I guess a one of the, a dryer overheated and it almost caught on fire there, so mm-hmm. it almost did.
0: Burn
1: the house Um, down. And they said that they will never leave the house when the dryer's running. (laughs) Again, apparently that's gonna help. And yeah, I don't fucking know. What if it starts? Like if it's a poltergeist or something like that, it'll make it start. Oh, um, so one day the mom, she decides to run a few errands, right? And i don't know okay i don't though, like, know why it's, is this not it, it, sh- it should have been done it, been like, over it should have be over by it's now it's still the same family nope they still in the damn house Brittany. they ain't want to move for some goddamn reason uh
0: like i get it uh <laughs> real estate's rough but uh, yeah yeah
1: hmm um so where's that okay okay (laughs) so she goes out to run errands right um and she's home alone of course again um she goes into the basement she turns off her dryer because we're not having no fires today um she opened she opened the back door just for you know good measure so that if you know the wind would blow the fire out i guess i don't i don't know um Oh, she opened the dryer door. My bad. Not the not the back door. And she left and she came back home. And then she was surprised. Because she went down to you know, check the dryer. But, you know, she left the dryer door open. She came back and the dryer door was closed. And, and bum, bum, the power switch flipped to on. So the dryer.
0: that see what i said exactly
1: i told oh yes yep yep see if they really want that dryer on they will turn that damn dryer on themselves um
0: this is not safe at this point like okay i get it like you know it's expensive Mm -hmm. but you know what? you could get a good price getting rid of it that house right now
1: immediately
0: just immediately, immediately. Like, listen, we are staying in a hotel.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: <laughs>
1: but, uh, like, I guess he still lived there or somebody lives there now. It doesn't. I didn't get that much uh, information from it. But as the family still heard, like, I guess they started hearing footsteps now, like, running up and down the hallway in the middle of the night. And, of course, the parents thought it was, like, one of the children, and they'd get up to investigate, and then nobody would be there. And, like, no one would be there, and the kids would be fast asleep in bed. I mean, it could have been one of the kids, and they just could have been pretending to sleep, but, you know. Um, But, yeah, like, this is one, one of the houses... That sits along I guess Lincoln Highway that is somewhat haunted um there's there's another one it's called oh, the Halem so house Hallam house hellem hellem um Ooh. yeah and that one was built in 1902 and apparently that one's another there's a lace little haunted house along the road but that I think that's a story from another day mm. yeah
0: yeah, definitely. It's interesting. I mean, I, honestly, I feel like this <laughs> is just people being stupid. Um listen, in the beginning I get it, I may be like, Yeah, this is my house. But like at this point now, nothing you do is right? fixing yeah, the problem. That's what, I'm,
1: that's what I was it's saying. It's time to let it go. Like, <sighs> like you, you did like it, it happened like whatever what, three other times after you done it you got it the house cleansed. Like mm. I'm okay. I'm okay. You get, y'all can keep the house, okay?
0: That's too I, much. I'll just go
1: find somewhere else to live.
0: Mm-mm. <laughs> that's how I feel. And see, you know what? Maybe that's why I just, you know, people are like, you eventually got to buy a house for <laughs> me. And I'm like, I don't want to put down roots. I need to live there for a little while to make sure right? that this house is not going to kill me. And there are other reasons, too, why, like, people buy a house and it has, like, a deathly, horrible spider infestation. Or, like, other horrible stuff. <laughs> There's this one. Okay, this is totally... The, the podcast is over, y'all. But I'm still gonna tell this story. Um, Listen, what happened was that there were bees in this little, like, hmm. out, like, attached gazebo to the house, right? And they got a pest guy to come in. He's just and sprayed. the pest guy... Do you know what he did? He... He just sprayed and killed all the bees and didn't even think to open up the walls or the roof or nothing. And there was just honeycomb inside of it, which brought so many bugs of so many kind. And it was just a nightmare for the homeowners. I've been so upset. Like, legitimately, like, when my well one day I told my dad, I was like, You know, there's like every kind of stinging insect out back of the house. And he was just like, Oh, I didn't realize. And I was like, I definitely see carpenter bees, regular bees, and I'm like, Wasps. And I was like, You need to get rid of all of these. And he had to call somebody who had to like oh cut a part of the, <laughs> the back of the house off, like, open, like, up and open so that they could move all of the, the, um, Yeah, because once you move the queen, the rest of the bees follow her, and so they they could move the the hive to another location and then fix the the little siding piece that had to be pulled off. But like, if you just kill them for ants to eat, just just in your walls, ants, roaches, everything. So I'm like, listen, homeownership seems like because I just had like in the
1: beginning of like spring. I had a guy come out here spray for the wasps and stuff. And I'm just like, I'm god. Like, yeah, they well, do. Wasps d- don't make honey. Asses. They just make problems. Um, but I haven't seen them recently. So, obviously, it's been going okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. With wasps, yeah. you just got to take out their I like, home when they're
1: not in. <laughs> I, Yeah. Spray like that, like, just soak it. That's time they try to build. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh oh, the joys of having a house
0: um but anyway thank you so much for listening to our extra long podcast today and <laughs> if you care um I- i'm in a documentary it's about gary ridgeway uh the green river killer sins of the follower sins of the father on Tubi and it's literally like right now it's after midnight y'all on the day and it's live i i scrolled ahead and saw myself oh nice nice. in the documentary so (laughs) thank you so much for listening we love you so very much Mm -hmm. and thanks for all of your support all the time